right. Welcome back to Real Big Mistakes, where we reevaluate a film's critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes and determine if the movies are better or worse than their reputation suggests. I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And I am Rich Tola. And uh, we are back. Welcome back. Season 2. And in honor of the world premiere of the long-awaited, much-delayed 25th official James Bond adventure and Daniel Craig's final outing as 007 with No Time to Die, we are going to kick off Season 2 by discussing Roger Moore's farewell to Bond with A View to a Kill. Uh, and actually, as I, we were doing this, when I picked this, this is the lowest-rated film on Rotten Tomatoes in the long-running series. So we're about to embark on a review to a kill to see if uh, this movie deserves its rotten score or if it uh, is indeed a real big mistake. So first, did you just come up with did you just come up with review to a kill on the spot? No, I wrote it down about a couple (laughs) hours ago. Yes, that was clever. Okay, yeah, I I wrote it down a few hours ago. I was like view to a kill review. Ah, okay, (laughs) all right. I'm sure I'm not the first person to do that. So. uh, but anyway, how have you been? Uh, we, we, Rich and I have talked a lot, but obviously we haven't done this podcast in quite some time, and we saw each other a couple of times uh, over the summer, so it was a very busy summer for both of us, correct? Yeah, uh, we've both been busy, and um, you bought a house, I bought a house, mm-hmm. sold, I, well, I sold and bought a house, um, so that was interesting, and, and uh, uh a bit of a headache, but you know. And my um, issue, my house buying uh, was a headache as well. Yeah. But so far, it's all been worth it. So uh, a lot <clears throat> yeah, of work, a lot of work to be done. But uh, yeah, so far, definitely a positive. More positives than negatives. Good. And uh, my uh, my wife and I had our second child. Oh, summer, that's so. right. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, a lot happened. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, very very eventful uh, summer there. Okay. Yep, but excited to get back into talking about some movies. Exactly, yeah. Get back into the groove, get back into working, and and, and things are getting better now with us with uh, 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 COVID coming to an end, so doing more mm-hmm. social things out and about, so uh, that's definitely a big plus, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you know, just, and, and, you know, settling in with, with work and everything, so now we're... You know, now is a good time for us to get in the swing of things, and um, you know we have some movies that we want to discuss. October is a, a great movie month um, because it, you know we have uh, well, you have a Bond movie opening. Well, you opened yesterday, I believe, right or today? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the international premiere, the London premiere, was like a week ago. Uh, I'm upset because we're both busy, uh, so I'm not uh, going to be able to see the new uh, James Bond movie, No Time to Die until Sunday is the earliest I'll be able to see it. So I, I have plans to see it on Sunday, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, exciting. And and I was thinking back, this is the first time in my lifetime, or at least since I, the, I think the Timothy Daltons came out over the summer. I remember License to Kill came out over the summer. But since I was old enough to see James Bond movies in theaters, starting with Goldeneye with Pierce Brosnan, they all came out in November or December. So uh, this is the first time that a Bond movie's come out in October, which seems like a random, weird month, but it's been a weird time. It was supposed to come out in April 2020, a month after the pandemic, you know, shut the world down. And obviously they delayed it and then kept delaying it, and now it's finally out. So uh, this is a long time coming, this uh, James Bond movie. So Yeah, um, I... Yeah, I, I'd like to see it. I, I 
doubt I'll be able to see it in the theater just with everything going on, but, uh, you know, hope to see it soon. Mm-hmm. Hear good things so far. I haven't really read anything, but I've just heard. Same with me. I'm trying so to avoid. I've heard mixed. What What's discouraging for me is it's three hours. I probably could have seen it maybe one day after work if it wasn't three hours, but I'm not the, you know, young kid I used to be that could, you know, see movies and stay up late and then still go to work or go to school and be productive. Uh, so uh, right. that's that's kind of one of the reasons why I didn't see it yesterday or today, obviously. So, because, uh, yeah, I have a job. <laughs> so, so do you. And two children and a house. So, yeah, we've got stuff uh, going on that keeps us from seeing movies right away like uh, like we used to. Yeah, and three hours is, a, is quite a long time. Yeah, so, exactly. That's like not, said, especially that's... for a James Bond movie. I mean, uh, they, they, two and a half hours is always like, they were always over two hours, but two and a half hours mm-hmm. is, you know, that, that was usually what the length is for a lot of those kinds of movies. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I used to blame it all on Lord of the Rings because that was three hours and then Avatar was close to three hours. And so, yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. But, um all right, oh, well. so yeah, we're uh, so we're excited to to you know season two for season two of our podcast to start. Uh, we had a nice break, and now we're ready to get back into it. Um, one change that we had discussed about doing to uh, our kind of rules that we play by is we've always done anything under sixty percent on, and we used Rotten Tomatoes as our guide. Um, so anything under sixty for Rotten Tomatoes is considered rotten. Um, so those are the movies that we reviewed for last season, every one of them. Uh, oh, that's not true, because there were a couple that... Uh, basically, we have to disagree with the review. With the consensus. To, with the consensus. So there were. T- I think we each chose a movie that got uh, positive ratings, but we disagreed yeah. with it. You did um, Indiana Jones 4, and I did True Romance. Right, exactly. So um, now, just for the, for the negative reviews, we're going to... Up, up the, uh, up the threshold a little bit just to kind of get more movies and, and give us more opportunity to talk about some movies that are right on the cusp but are considered um, fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and not rotten. So we're gonna up it to anything under seventy percent um, will be our our threshold for rotten movies. Um, so just it gives us a little more flexibility and, and opens up to some more mainstream movies that uh, you know our, our audience has have heard of and, and have probably seen and, and thus, you know, will uh, want to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, a few more options there for us to yeah. pick. We, we, meaning while we're the ones who make up the rules so we could change them <laughs> if we <laughs> exactly. want at any point, but yeah, just, just clarifying there for, for our listeners. Yeah. Yep. So um, yeah, let's, uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into a view to a kill. Yeah, there's this a lot was... to discuss about this. Yeah. And, and have you, I assume Rich, you could, un- you understand why I picked this movie. Uh, so this was your, I was going to say, this was your pick. You mm-hmm. picked the first one cause I ended last season. Um, so you're, you picked the first one, you picked a view to a kill. Um, you know, obviously I mean, the obvious reason being that there's, you know, a, a new bond movie in theater. So, uh, you figured, and I know you, you've always liked this movie and you mentioned before it's the lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes bond movie. However, uh, the original Casino Royale is lower. And I know that's, if you count that, that I choose not to some count people that. don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it's some, not people canon. Do, some people do. Neither don't. is never say never again, but uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, 
that is technically the lowest by like 10% or something like that. I think it's like a 20 something. I think it's like 20%. Um, This is 38. I think the man with the golden gun is like one point higher at 39%. And I like that movie too, actually. So, but (laughs) Um, surprisingly, I came really close to picking a Pierce Brosnan movie because all the Brosnans other than Goldeneye are considered rotten. So tomorrow never dies, which I know we both love. Um, mm-hmm. The world is not enough, and Die Another Day are all considered rotten. And I know when Die Another Day came out, it did get good reviews at the time. So, but the internet time has not been kind to it. Uh, so, once again, one of the problems with Rotten Tomatoes. I know License to Kill. Well, maybe not License to Kill, but definitely on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the one George Lazenby movie. That got horrible reviews when it came out, and now it's considered one of the best. So, you know, time changes with these Bond movies, and Rotten Tomatoes adjusts with the time. If you were to look at the reviews in 1969 for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, they were very negative. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, but... uh, Um, Yeah, and, and, you know, the the changing with the times piece is good and bad, because uh, I think a lot of people aren't fair to movies sometimes, Mm -hmm. and I think... That movie, I, I haven't seen that movie, so I can't talk too much about it. But I know that a lot of the backlash it got was because it was it wasn't Sean Connery. Um, so I think you know, without the movie, didn't really get a fair shake. And with good it, reason, because he yeah. isn't very. It's it's the equivalent of to put it in perspective for you, Rich, since you never saw it. It's Hayden Christensen in the prequels. Okay. Yeah. You know, Revenge of the Sith may have been a much better movie if Hayden Christensen was a better actor or was at least directed better. Uh, You know, it's kind of like that. It's the elephant in the room. He didn't, you know, maybe he didn't deserve it. Maybe it wasn't entirely his fault because, yeah, living up to Sean Connery is impossible, okay? Few Mm -hmm. actors, you know, had his stature, his ability, his presence, uh, and coming right after him that, you know, no easy task for anybody. Um, but, uh, I stand by, it, it has flaws other than that, but it's, it's a good story. It's just everything else around it I did not like, but it's Christopher Nolan's favorite Bond movie. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. And the, the Dalton movies in the nineties, they were considered horrible. They were considered, you know, they almost never made another James Bond movie after Timothy Dalton, but now, especially License to Kill, another one that I don't like was, you know, is constantly in the top tens when people list their 10 best Bond movies of all time. That's always up there. Um, But yeah, I've always liked A View to a Kill. I understand its flaws, um, but I picked it also because two reasons, and this and not a Brosnan or one of the other ones, because I think this one would be better to discuss because I think there's more of a chance that we will disagree on this movie as opposed to the Brosnans. Mm-hmm. And the other reason, it's Roger Moore's final James Bond after seven. This is Daniel Craig's final James, final James Bond movie, No Time to Die, that came out after five. So kind of mm-hmm. tying in the, you know, finales together, that sort of thing is why I picked it. So. Um, all right, so let's talk about the, the franchise and, and what it means to you. Um, I'll go first because mine will be shorter. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am assuming it'll be shorter. Um, I like James Bond movies, and I, I understand their importance, but I don't love them. I haven't seen all of them. I'm not... A, I wouldn't... I'd be good at maybe very basic Bond trivia, but anything in-depth, uh, I, I probably wouldn't be very good at unless I happen to see the, the particular movie. 
Um, I, you know, I understand their, their importance. Um, I've, I, I enjoy them when I see them, but I, there's, there's some that are difficult to sit through. Um, granted, a lot of my Bond experience was on cable television when they're playing all the Bond movies or something like that. You don't see that too much anymore, mm-hmm. but when I was younger, and, and you probably remember this too. I oh, like absolutely. Was like, it was the only yeah, way yeah. I could see them. It was the only way I saw them. Right, there were days where like a Bond movie, it was like a Bond marathon. Oh yeah, TBS like and TNT, they would like rotate, yeah. and it was usually around Christmas time. So I associate this movies with Christmas time. They would have like two weeks straight of just Bond marathons on TBS back when it was the Superstation before it was like you know specializing in comedy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the same thing, and I just would just leave the TV on TBS, maybe watch wrestling or a baseball game or another random show or something uh, when I was a kid. But yeah, I would just just you know let the J- the James Bond movies play, and yeah, so similar you know memory of that as you stated there, right? And for some of them being over two hours, that means on cable they're at least two to three hours mm-hmm. uh, because of commercials and everything. There, some of those were tough to sit through. So um, some of them I liked, and some of them are, were okay, and some of them I just never saw or saw bits and pieces of, and never saw all the way through. Um, and, and actually, A View to a Kill is one of the ones that I've seen the majority of it, but I never saw it from start to end until last night, to be honest. Really? Um, I was, thought, because we had time. talked about it a lot, or you made fun of me for I, defending <laughs> it several times. Uh, I had so seen I thought enough. you had seen it before. Okay. No, I had seen enough to get the, the gist of it. I just never saw it from beginning to end. And I think I've probably seen, like... You know, from the beginning to the middle at one point, and then maybe the middle to the end at a different point. So I feel like I saw most of it. There was only a little bit in the very beginning that I was like, I don't remember any of this. Um, a lot of the the winter ski scenes, um, mm-hmm. I don't remember that at all. Um, but other than that, everything else I remembered. So I I, I know I you know like I said I've I'd seen enough of it. Um, it's there's other ones. What's the one where he's a uh, there? There's an Easter. It's about an egg. Oh god, that that's the one right before this. One of the silliest James Bond movies, uh, Octopussy. Yeah, that one I know I've only seen like the first half hour and I never made it any farther than that. <laughs> That's one of the silliest Bond movies. I enjoy it, but I will definitely admit that that's one of the weaker ones. Whereas A View to a Kill is also considered one of the weaker ones. The 80s was a tough decade for James Bond. You had an aging Roger Moore and you had Timothy Dalton who didn't quite fit in or wasn't, and he was competing up against, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, uh, you know, those big, you know, Bruce Willis, diehard type action movies from the 80s. So, uh, you know, action movies were changing and James Bond was kind of, uh, you know, not not quite, didn't have the same, oh my God, you know, special quality. Yeah, I felt like James Bond in the 80s, especially the Roger Moore, like the Roger Moore ones, I I don't, I didn't see the, the Dalton ones. But the uh, the Roger Moore ones, I feel like they were playing catch up, or at least mm. trying to, and they were just reacting to what's popular and doing it, but nowhere near as good as the films that they were trying to base their content off of. Well, a little bit of history for you, and I mean the James Bond films have always done that. From Russia okay. with Love is a blatant ripoff of Hitchcock, especially North by Northwest and some other Hitchcock okay. movies. You, you don't realize that as you're watching it because. 
I mean, James Bond is James Bond, and it became so influential, you know, as Hitchcock, but in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. Live and Let Die, rip off of black exploitation movies. Um, yeah, License to Kill. They got Michael Kamen in to do the score, who was did the score for Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. So big '80s action movie uh, composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they yeah. So so they are always the, the Quantum of Solace was a clear, you know, heavily influenced by the Bourne Identity, the Jason Bourne movies. Um, the Die Another Day you know, heavily influenced by the Matrix with the way it was shot, a lot of the effects. So mm-hmm. James Bond has always kind of aped the style. And uh, to a huge extent, Casino Royale uh, and Skyfall, very much a ripoff of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. So Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so they're always, they've always kind of done that, but I guess because James Bond is so, you know, such a huge, you know, a- entity, such a huge franchise... They get away with it better than maybe other uh, franchises. Well, and I think a lot of the movies you mentioned are were good movies, though. So you, the ripoff doesn't seem as blatant. Whereas yeah. Moonraker and Star Wars, there you yes, go. There's another. That, oh, that's, that was terrible. okay. Yeah, but that and that was <laughs> when so you much said blatant. That was when that popped in my head. Okay. Yeah. yeah so. Exactly. All like. Right. Those were bad. That was like Moonraker. Is in my oh, opinion, I love Moonraker. Oh, oh give it movie. another chance. I, you know what I did after I watched this movie? I put on Moonraker uh, with the commentary, and I fell asleep to it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh no, but it's a great. I love Moonraker, and you know what? It really made me think of uh, the the villain Drax, played by Michael Lonsdale. Really made me think of Elon Musk and Tesla. Uh, yeah. And well, I, it, it's very and and well when we start talking about um when we start talking about uh, View to a Kill, what Christopher Walken could kind of be like a Bill Gates mega maniacal, you know, Bond villain sort of. Uh Tomorrow Never Dies, clearly that villain could have been Rupert Murdoch. Uh so they right. it's very actually Christopher Walken really with the hair maybe kind of reminded me of Donald Trump more than anyone else uh, as I watched <laughs> yeah. it this time around. So but we'll get into that later. Yeah, so Anything else you want to add about what the series means to you? No, that's, that's it. just about it. Um, just that you know, I, I, I like the movies. I appreciate them. I, I know that they're you know they're not all uh, great, and and I know that people you know Bond fans love them all. You know, with varying degrees, but still you know love them all. Um, but. You know, I wouldn't call myself a, a major Bond fan, but you know, I'm the middle of the road, average. Seen a, seen a bunch, not all of them. Appreciate the ones, and, and I'm also willing to call the good ones good and the bad ones bad. So. Okay, so you're the true everyman with the James Bond franchise. Yes. Okay, in every sort of way, you've seen the big ones, you've missed the, you know, some of the other ones. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, for me. This franchise means a lot. I can honestly say this is my favorite franchise. I always consider if people ask me who's your favorite actor, I would have always said Sean Connery. Um, I, like you, do remember growing up, you know, and watching them on the Bond marathons on TBS. And I remember I was like, oh, I'll never buy the Bond movies. They're always on TV. I love it. I, I just always would count on that. And it was like a fun thing to always be able to watch the James Bond movies. Um, so, yeah, I, I grew up, we grew up in the same time. We're the same age. So, um you know, they, they would go up to License to Kill. So from Dr. No to License to Kill, we're constantly on TV. Uh, when we were at least once every six months, I feel like. They would do it maybe over the summer on TNT and then over the winter, you know, Christmas time on TBS. And I would always uh, watch them and, yeah, always 
had so much fun enjoying and just thought they were great so just the, the 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 escapism the traveling the cars the gadgets the clothes the girls uh is i attribute that with you know wanting my love of traveling so much because james bond sees the world and i would love to you know go all the places he's gone and do all the things he's done and it was you know kind of like uh, you know there's different levels of fantasy I guess James Bond was kind of like the ultimate male fantasy for me uh, to have that life, look that way, live that way. So I've seen all of them. I'm a big James Bond geek. It's the only movie franchise where I do own every single. I have the box sets, and then I bought the um, the the Daniel Craig's uh, separately. But I do have all of them, and I don't love all of them. Uh, but even in the weakest ones, I'll find something. You know, Quantum of Solace. The action scenes are great. I don't know what's going on in the movie. The plot is kind of nonsensical or not even there, but I love it. Or, you know, um, Octopussy, License to Kill, two lesser Bond movies that we mentioned already. Um, I think Octopussy has some really funny parts, like genuinely silly and funny. And License to Kill has a great soundtrack and a great song. So uh, I always find something good in them. So it means a lot to me, the James Bond series. Every time there's a new James Bond, it's special. And I feel it's one of the longest, or is the longest running series. Almost 60 years now. Next year would be the 60th anniversary um, of James Bond since Doctor No. So... I mean, what other franchise has done that? I know Marvel made 19 movies in like seven years, but uh, or more, they're probably up to 20-something by now, but I, I don't care as much about that. I don't care, you know, as much. You mm-hmm. know, Star Wars is catching up to it, too, and I don't necessarily think that's a good thing for Star Wars. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what James Bond... I had the same note to me, like, right down, ask Rich, what does James Bond mean to you? So you <laughs> asked right before me. Um, but a few other questions I want to go over before we get into the movie. Do you remember the first Bond movie you ever saw? Oof. Um, start to finish? Yeah. Or just, uh, I don't even know, start to finish. I, I couldn't even tell you. Okay. Um, uh, the first one I ever saw, hmm, I I don't remember, but... How about the first it Bond to, movie? It had to be like on. a Roger Moore one. A I'm Roger sure Moore one. Okay, but you don't remember Probably. which specific one. All right. But I don't remember, yes. Uh, no. The... the First one I saw from start to finish, I remember sitting down and watching Goldfinger and thinking that was amazing. That was incredible. And then I'm pretty sure I saw Dr. No and maybe Diamonds Are Forever, You Only Live Twice. And then I remember all of a sudden the next one was Moonraker. And I was like, hey, this is James Bond? This isn't James Bond. What is this? And that was the first (laughs) time I was exposed to Roger Moore. It was on after one of the Conneries on TBS. And that was so that was my first Roger Moore or the first time I realized multiple people played this part that that, you know, blew my mind when I was, I don't know, elementary school age for sure. So nine or ten. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that that was the first one. Do you remember the first Bond movie you saw in theaters? Yeah. um, In theaters. Yeah, (laughs) it was the only Bond movie I ever saw in theaters. Spectre. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I've seen, since GoldenEye, I've, I saw GoldenEye in the theater. I, um, I've seen, you know, all of them in the theaters. And GoldenEye, I saw, I remember I went with a friend. We were in like, I was in like sixth grade or something. And my mom took my sister to see Toy Story. And they both started around the same time. But Toy Story was like a 90-minute movie. And <laughs> GoldenEye was, you know, two and a quarter hours because it's James Bond, so a little over yeah. two hours. They waited like an hour afterwards for us to get out of the movie. <laughs> so yeah, they would, I remember her saying that. And I was like, oh, my God. I remember being so excited 
excited. Like, uh, James Bond to me was like this old thing, you know? And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to continue? They're bring- I'm going to get to see a James Bond movie in the theater? It felt so special to me. I never, you know, thought I would get to see that. So that was a big deal for me. Uh, favorite Bond actor? Do you have one? Um... Yes, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I love originals, so I gotta say Connery. Mm-hmm. Um, I never saw the Dalton or the Lazenby, the Daltons or the Lazenby movie, so I can't even put them into it. But the fact that they're only in three movies combined means they probably weren't very good. I mean, I'm sure there were other reasons behind them not being in more, but um, that that you know has so. Of the three I saw, I would say my order would be Connery, Craig, Moore. What about Brosnan? Sorry, forgot about Brosnan. Uh, <laughs> Is he Connor... fourth in? fourth best because you forgot about him? <laughs> no, he's not actually. I think Mo- Roger Moore is my least favorite. Of the four that you've seen. Okay, four, all right, yeah. fair uh, enough. Craig, Craig would be second and um, Pierce Brosnan would be third. Okay, and I actually agree with you with the rankings. My favorite Bond actor would be Connery, not just because he's the original. I I guess that is a huge factor. He set the tone, but I also think he was a great actor, the only James Bond Mm -hmm. to win an Oscar, and deservedly so. And I could make the argument he deserved more than just one. But, um, yeah, and and I do like Dalton, you know... uh, to a point, I don't think he was a good Bond, or I don't think the Bond scripts matched him. And people, I feel like Pierce Brosnan in recent years has become a punching bag. You forget, this guy saved the franchise, okay? Mm-hmm. This guy, you know, the world was hungry for James Bond, and he, you know, fit that bill. And he was kind of like the perfect combination of the raw, rugged toughness of Connery. But also the smooth, suave, fun, you know, clever one-liners of Roger Moore. So he was, and he looked the part great. I mean, he fit the bill. If you want to, you know, say what who what should play James Bond, he might have the best look for James Bond out of all of them. But then they rip apart the scripts and the special effects and the stories. And yes, they're not the greatest stories. But at the time, nobody went to James Bond movies for great original screenplays. Uh, so that's something to remember, but, uh, I, I would agree with you. What were you about to say with Brosnan? Um, yeah, I think he, at the time was the obvious choice, like of duh, of course he's going to be James Bond. Like who else would it be? Like it has to be him. Um, I was going to say that how many kids were introduced to James Bond because of GoldenEye on Nintendo 64. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was the Bond of the 90s. So for a certain era of people, yeah, maybe they didn't watch TBS or care about old movies and Sean Connery or, you know, their dads didn't, you know, introduce them to Roger Moore or stuff like that. So, yeah, he was a lot of, you know, like, I think kids now, this generation, if... James Bond is going to continue in the future, and I assume it will in some form or another. It's going to be tough after this Daniel Craig, you know, saga ends. Um, but Daniel Craig is going to be the, you know, the James Bond, the ultimate James Bond to them. So, yeah, he was, uh, Brosnan was a very good ambassador of James Bond for the 90s. And it was a tough time because Cold War was over. Communism was, you know, was had, had lost. So the world was kind of the 90s was not really a time and place for James Bond. And they referenced that in the movies, especially in GoldenEye, and I thought that was great. And so then mm-hmm. that they had him go against a media mogul, you know, like an evil Rupert Murdoch. They had him go against, oh, I, don't, I guess maybe the other two villains in the other two movies weren't that good. But, you know, they, they still, they you know, they, they worked with what they had. Then 9-11 came, and 
you know, War on Terror started and that, you know, made Barbara Broccoli want to move into a more serious direction. And also Pierce Brosnan blamed, you know, the failure of the Bond series, you know, towards the end when people started not liking his movies on Austin Powers. And I think that may have been a factor as well, because those movies were insanely popular in the late 90s, more so than the James Bond movies that were coming out at the same time. So. Um, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I mean, Austin Powers is a very successful franchise that b- is blatantly rips off James Bond, or, yeah. or at least parod- parodies it. Yeah, and I love James Bond so much. I remember getting so mad when I saw the first one in the theater. Ah, they're making fun of James Bond. And what frustrated me was none of my friends knew what they were. They just thought Doctor Evil was. They, they didn't realize that Doctor Evil was Blofeld. They didn't realize that you know all the you know stuff. Uh, uh, random task was an uh, odd job. You know they didn't pick up on. <laughs> I actually think that's brilliant. So as I'm older now, I'm less, you know, angry and petty, and uh, I do appreciate the brilliance that it or was Austin Powers, especially the first movie. The other, the third one, oh, that was just an excuse for cameos. But the first one uh, yeah. was very, very well written. Uh, so very, very funny movie. Holds up today. And I don't think, I think because of a lot of the crude uh, sexual humor, I don't think that movie could be made today, at least not PG-13, uh, what, which mm-hmm. it was back then. So uh, do, do you have a favorite Bond movie? Just want to go through a few, few more Bond things before we get into the meat of a view to a kill um i i like a few uh, it's it, for for a little I, I did like live and let die it's not my favorite um i think goldfinger has to be my favorite um you know just because it kind of sets the template for what mm-hmm. james bond become you know is and, and the movies and yeah. and pretty much they follow that i mean for to still are maybe or at least until daniel craig started yeah i was gonna um, say daniel craig they really started to change things up yeah, yeah. um but uh yeah I, I think that's you know that introduces you know his his gimmicks and his gadgets yeah uh, i do like the first one and the second one and they're both great and they're, you know the first one is very you know raw i guess you can very say very bare you know, bones yeah, yeah compared bones. to what it would become yeah yeah, but still good. Um, oh, excellent! I think yeah, excellent movies. Yeah, I'll, I'll share my favorite afterwards. But yeah, keep going. And uh, yeah, and and I like Casino Royale a lot. The mm. the Craig, Daniel Craig one, obviously. Um, I like that one a lot. Um, that that might be my second favorite. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I that one. I, I really I was surprised how much I liked it. Same with um, me. You, you're you're echoing liked, a lot of my sentiments, Rich. Yeah. So yeah, I I liked Skyfall. I Spectre was okay. Um, it had its moments. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the newer one. Okay. Um, but again, I haven't seen all of them, so okay. so it's tough for you to really judge. Ones. But you've seen what it sounds like. You've seen, in my opinion, the best ones. If you were to go to my website, I'll plug it right now: www.panandslam.com. <laughs> And look at my article where I do the best of James Bond, the best Bond movies, and I rank all of them, 1 through 25, because uh, I considered Never Say Never Again up there, so that's why I had 25. Um, your top three or four would match mine, okay? I would just put From Russia With Love at number one. And yeah, like you said, Dr. No and From Russia With Love aren't quite the James Bond movies that they would become. All the elements are there to an extent, but, you know... They're they're semi gadgetless. They don't have the emphasis on the car like the you know mm. Goldfinger would with the Aston Martin, which would reappear in many other uh, 007s. Um, so uh, to me, From Russia with Love is just not only is it a great you know Bond movie, it's a great Cold War thriller. His name could be I don't know 
something else, okay? And, and it's a really, really good, you know, the action scenes, the fight on the Orient Express, Robert Shaw is mm-hmm. the villain, uh, Lottie Lenez, Rosa Klebb, she was the obviously the uh, basis for Frau Farbissina from Austin Powers, <laughs> okay? So yeah, there, there's tons of stuff. Uh, th- that movie would be number one. Goldfinger, I think, is my number two. My number three is Casino Royale, which you said, and same exact sentiment. I went in there negative. I don't want, because reboots was, you know, with spider-man and with batman all the Mm -hmm. reboots that that would be you know was not something i was keen on especially them doing with james bond because i am such a purist i'm so traditional and i love the james bond traditions and if i had a complaint about the daniel craigs it's that none of them hit the benchmarks you know that you, you you have a checklist when you go to see a james bond movie all the Brosnans had the checklist. The henchman, the good Bond girl, the bad Bond girl, the car, the watch, the, you know, Q doing something. They all had that. Uh, even Desmond Llewellyn, Q died, and they, uh, you know, threw in uh, mm-hmm. John Cleese as R in Die Another Day. And, and I loved all that. I can't believe how much I loved Casino Royale. I didn't like that James Bond was blonde. He looked more like Steve McQueen. I, I was so against <laughs> that. But... It blew me away. And then also, we both agree that the best of the Brazens is Tomorrow Never Dies. Most people say Goldeneye, and I do really like Goldeneye, but Tomorrow Never Dies I thought was fantastic. Do you have a favorite Bond song? Let's go through this real quick. Bond song. Do you have a favorite one? Uh, Live and Let Die. Oh, great song, and that would definitely be in my top three, probably, but my number mm-hmm. one is Carly Simon, Nobody Does It Better. Uh, do you That's have a... in my top three. All right, so all right, so our music taste is similar in this uh, for this particular uh, discussion. Favorite Bond villain? Uh, um, hmm. You do yours, and I'll think about it mine for a second. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ernst Stavro Blofeld, especially when Donald Pleasance played him in You Only Live Twice. He's the, the, it, It's pretty much the basis for Dr. Evil, okay? He's in the volcano. He's got the shaved head, the scar on the eye, the Nehru jacket, okay? Donald Pleasance... You know, because there's so much hype. You never see Blofeld. He's specters and all the, you know, they, they allure, allude to him. They hint at him. And then you finally see him from the other side of the chair, lean over with the cat. Uh, Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> I know the Austin <laughs> Powers name more than I know the James Bond name yeah. uh, for, for the evil uh, person's cat. So, yeah, that would be my answer. But there's, I mean, there's tons of other great ones. So Yeah. Um, hmm. That's, that's a tough one. Um yeah, I mean that's the he's the obvious choice. Um, he you know he was in so many movies. Yeah, he keeps uh, recurring played by different yeah. characters, played by um, different actors. Yeah, now Christoph yeah, Waltz is him in the last Inspector, and he's in he Christoph Waltz is him in No Time to Die. I see you just see him in the pre in the previews. I don't know how much of a role he has in it, but uh, yeah. So I, I liked Javier Bardem's character. Mm, excellent. Oh, he deserved he, a I supporting was, actor Oscar nomination yeah. at least. Yeah, for that. I thought he was a very, really good Bond villain. He was, yeah. Can't argue against that. That's a great answer, yeah. So, um, All right. Favorite Bond car or gadget? Um, the uh, Goldfinger Aston Martin. And I have the Goldfinger Aston Martin passenger yeah, ejector seat. You, you can't beat that. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it, it keeps showing up, and I love it. It showed up in Skyfall. That was one of my favorite moments in Skyfall. And yeah. uh, favorite Bond girl? Um... I liked the one from The Spy Who Loved Me. She's one of my favorites, and she was always my favorite up until... Yeah, so Barbara Bach as Agent Triple X, the Russian agent that works with Roger Moore in The Spy Who Loved Me. She was my favorite until I saw Casino Royale, Vesper Lind. 
I totally believed the chemistry that James Bond would quit and come, you know, I didn't, whereas I didn't buy it with On Her Majesty's Secret Service or other times where Bond, you know, flirted with marriage or flirted with, you know, ending his career and being with one woman for the rest of his life. That was the only time. And then you saw what happened to him there. And that's why he's brokenhearted. That's why he's cold. That's why he is the way he is. Uh, so, and I bought it and, and she delivered mm-hmm. it. So uh, Eva Green as Vesper Lynn from Casino Royale would be my pick. So, yeah, good um, pick. Alrighty, uh, and one last question. Where does James Bond rank among your favorite movie franchises? You know it's my favorite. Where, I mean, I know what franchises I think you like more, but, I mean, is it, you know... Yeah, it's definitely below Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, franchises? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, top ten for sure. Okay. Um, uh Jurassic Park, I, I don't know, because I, I love the first one so much, and, and I know you don't, but <laughs> I love the first one so much, but the, the, the rest I, I could care less about, so that's a tough one. And same even like Back to the Future, like I love the first one so much, the second and third one could not even exist. And it I think two and three out. are better than Lost World and Jurassic Park yeah. 3 and the Chris Pratt one, so I, I, I enjoy that franchise. Not Maybe not I, I as like, much as you, but I enjoy the franchise a lot. I, I would say top 10, maybe top 5. I didn't put my, any, any much thought into this, so I'd really have to like think about it. Okay. Maybe right. top 5, definitely top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies more, I think, mm. overall. And he credits um, James Bond with those movies, and those movies, it's very symbiotic, their relationship. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see Nolan direct a Bond movie, um, yeah. because I think that would be fa- I don't just don't know if they want to pay him, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Uh, but I think that would be really, really uh, interesting. Cause, and he's one of the reasons why, I mean, I think you saw Inception. I love Inception. I think that's one yeah. of his best movies. Heavily, heavily influenced by On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The big shootout action scene in the snow at the end. When I mm-hmm. saw it in the theaters, I was like, this looks a lot like On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Then I read in interviews, that's his favorite Bond movie. So, yeah, that movie really has a new resurgence, a new life. Like Vertigo, or like The Thing, or like Blade Runner. These movies that flopped and were poorly reviewed when they first came out. Uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. If you just Google, you know, best Bond movies... I'm sure five of the ten or five of the six, you know, first articles that you hit, not not mine at panandslam.com, but the other ones, you're going to see Honor Majesty's Secret Service in the top, you know, in that list near the top. Yeah. I don't get it. And in the 90s, when I was growing up, that was looked at as the one of the worst ones. And I, I guess my opinion didn't change, but everyone else's opinions did. So, I don't know. Mm. So All right. All right. So, are you ready to get into A View to a Kill? Yeah, do you want to talk about 1985, the year in film first? Or or we usually yeah, just do uh, Yeah, let's talk about it quickly. Um, okay. Because I don't think we talked about 85. I know we did 86. I, I don't we think there's anything did, else we did a lot say of about. That. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead with 85. Um, well, for, uh, the one best picture that year was Out of Africa, a movie that I thought was way too long and very boring. Robert Redford, uh, Meryl Streep, Sidney Pollack, all very talented Talented director, talented actors, obviously, but uh, that did not deserve Best Picture. What should have won that Best Picture, and it was in 1985 that wasn't even nominated, a movie that's one of our favorite movies, Back to the Future. Yes, agreed. So, And there was also The Color Purple, The Breakfast Club, and I had to make sure I mention it, Fletch. Yes, Fletch. <laughs> so. um, yeah, great movie, and, and I mean, not Best Picture quality, but a great comedy, and... 
glad you finally came around to seeing that. Yes, it took me four times to fully appreciate <laughs> the genius that was Fletch, and a lot of it was Rich continually quoting it uh, when I worked with him together, and just thinking it was so random and funny, and then showing me <laughs> clips, and then I'm like, all right, I guess I need to see it again. All right, and then yep. finally mm-hmm. I, you know, came around, and yes, I, so much so that I, after that I shortly saw after saw Fletch Lives, and I enjoyed that uh, probably more than I should have. <laughs> And more than I did, probably. <laughs> At least and the I first time Fletch. around. Yeah, <laughs> you do love Fletch. So. All right. All right, yeah. So, um, yeah, I never saw Out of Africa, um, no, no. And nor do I ever really want to, to be honest. It doesn't look like my kind of movie. It looks it, boring. It's um, very boring. It's, it's yeah. not, not a winner. Not, not yeah. Uh, but I do love Back to the Future. I know you mm-hmm. do, too. Yes. Um, uh, everything about it um yeah 85 i mean it's mid 80s it's you know the 80s are in full swing by then and um this movie is again uh, one of those 80s movies that uh, james bond movies that i feel like is just trying to keep up well i don't know if i would i mean trying to keep up would be maybe more so the daltons especially license to kill Watch License to Kill, and or let alone watch Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, and, I don't know, Commando, <laughs> okay? And then watch License to Kill, and you'll be like, oh my god, James Bond is trying to be, you know... The, because the 80s action movies, you know, really yeah. were kind of a different breed. There hadn't been... Because I guess before that action movies, they, there was Dirty Harry... You know, there was Death Wish, and there was James Bond, and then there was Westerns as well. But then, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, uh, then later on Van Damme, Steven Seagal, uh, Chuck Norris in the 70s and 80s, they started to really evolve and change action movies. And James Bond was trying to keep up with that. And it, I don't think it worked, but now revisionist history comes around, and everyone's saying License to Kill is brilliant. I don't see the brilliance, but whatever. Which was the one that had... Um the guy that was in Die Hard and he was in the Goonies. He was one of the bad guys. That's License to Kill. Yeah, he he's actually good as the villain. He's a drug What's dealer. What's his name? Robert Davi. Yeah, yeah. Davi. I, I could tell you a funny story about him. Okay, so I was I was in uh, visiting a friend in L.A. and we were hanging out and this his landlord was there or something talking to us and he was telling us we should go to like the Beverly Hilton and go to the bar there and hang out there and you know that's where you run into famous people. And he goes, I was there and I saw that guy Davy with the bad skin and I'm like, what? You know, Davy with the bad skin and I'm like, <laughs> and I guess because I'm good with actors and stuff like that, so I said. Do you mean Robert Davi? Yeah, him. He can sing too. He was singing that night. And yes, he actually does sing like, you know, standards. Like <laughs> you could you could see him do like a Frank Sinatra covers and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he was Sanchez, the uh, Colombian drug lord that mm. uh, kills or uh, Felix Leiter, James Bond's American CIA partner or whatever. He sings in um, he sings in Goonies. Yes, he <laughs> does. When Chunk walks away and says Barocca yeah. ta Adonai, he starts singing uh, in Italian opera. In so Italian, yes, yeah. yep, yep, yeah, good, good call there. Um, yeah, he wasn't the problem with License to Kill, but uh, yeah. All right, um, all right. So, um, all right. So eighty five. Uh, so this movie, um, the Rotten Tomatoes score is, I think we already talked about thirty eight percent for critics and forty percent for audience. So pretty much the same. Yeah, low both um, ways. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'll read the uh, the little synopsis. Do you want to go over the cast Tomatoes. first? The cast. Uh, well, let me read the synopsis first, and then we'll, we'll talk. Synopsis about cast been cast. All right. All right. Alright, so after recovering a microchip from the body of a deceased colleague in Russia, 
British secret agent James Bond, played by Roger Moore, discovers that the technology has the potential for sinister applications. Um, by the way, I'm learning more about the plot reading this than I did watching the movie. Um, <laughs> in- investigating further, Bond is led to Max Zorin, Christopher Walk, played by Christopher Walken, the head of Zorin Industries. Soon, Agent 007 faces off against the villainous Zorin and his tough Amazonian bodyguard, Mayday, played by Grace Jones, who are scheming to cause massive destruction that will eliminate the competition. <laughs> That's I, I don't know, that I, I, I don't know why I, I thought that was funny, but it is. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's quite a write up. Um, the plot so, is convoluted and all over the place. Even when I was a kid, let, let's put it: when you're following along with a movie at ten or eleven years old uh, on TBS with commercials, nonetheless, I do remember being confused with like, how did they go from horse racing to Silicon Valley to killing? you know, mass, you know, yeah. body to the end of the world. Like what, what where, how, I, I remember being like, how did this happen? Um, mm-hmm. But, but whatever, it's, it's a James Bond movie. Moonraker, he globe trots. I think he goes to California. He goes to Rio. He goes to Venice and then he goes to outer space. So, <laughs> you know, he got his frequent flyer miles in big time. Roger Moore may have done more traveling than he did seven movies, but he have may, may have done more, you know, globe trotting in his movies than any other James Bond. So. Yeah, possibly. Uh, this one, it's not too bad. Well, they start off in, I don't know, where, Russia, maybe? Um, and then Somewhere in the to, Arctic. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He said he mentioned something about going to Alaska, so somewhere in the North Pole, Siberia, Russia. Oh, okay. And then, May- yeah, maybe, then, yeah. Then they're in Paris, and then the rest of the movies, I think, is in San Francisco, right? Yes, yeah. The, the big chunk, the big the last the second hour, I think, is in San Francisco, so yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. The sand part, I think they spend most of the time in. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> a friend of ours, yes. You want to explain that story? <laughs> uh, yeah, a friend of ours went to San Francisco, and and Jason asked him what part of San Francisco. I guess because I guess you know San Francisco. I well. had a friend. He actually moved. He recently moved away from there. But yeah, like my one of my best friends lived in San Francisco, so I went out there a lot over a period of 10 years just to, you know, hang mm-hmm. out. So yeah, I do know San Francisco more than many other cities. So, um, yeah. So yeah. you, you had asked our friend what part of San Francisco he went to and he said, uh, the sand part <laughs> and your, <laughs> and your response was, okay, so you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was the conversation. Yes. So, um, but, uh, yeah. All right. So, all right. A lot, lot so, of cool, cool shots in San Francisco, I thought as well. So, yeah, definitely with the the you know the Golden Gate Bridge and and the, the city in itself and yeah, I like everything. the scene um, at the wharf. I liked I liked a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so we have Roger Moore. We like we said as James Bond. I think we we talked about that already. Uh, Christopher Walken as the the Bond villain in this movie. So uh, you probably know his timeline better than I do. But where is this in in Christopher Walken's timeline? Because he I, I've seen some early Walken stuff. And, and obviously, I know later Walken. It seems like he's kind of in the middle here. You could see some of his older Walken tendencies from time to time, in terms of the way he talks, and because uh, I, I feel like that's more like more it's more pronounced now than it was when he was a younger actor. Yeah, I agree with that. But he was always weird. Um, he was always okay. This came after I, one of his earliest movies, and I know you saw this movie because uh, you borrowed it for me. Even though he's now persona non grata, uh, Woody Allen's Annie Hall. He was Dwayne Annie Hall's brother. Only like one scene or two scenes yeah. he had in that movie. 
But he was doing walking, okay? He was weird. That's true. You're he right. was perfect. But but granted, that was one small part. So Walken's always had that weird, quirky, uniqueness to him. Um, but this came after he won the Oscar for The Deer Hunter for Best Supporting Actor. And he is the first, not only because Javier Bardem has an Oscar, but he is the first... And actually, Robbie Malek in the new movie, he has an Oscar as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, he was the first actor uh, to win an Oscar to be uh, a James Bond, to be a James Bond villain. So I thought that was a big deal. And mm -hmm. people rip him apart and criticize him for his part in this. But I think he's great. I'm not going to say he's the best Bond villain. Maybe that's partly his fault because he was doing walking. Maybe that's partly the movie's fault because there are so many other better Bond movies, uh, you know, just objectively speaking. But uh, he's really good. And you know who was originally uh, offered this part and he turned it down? You're going to be surprised. Well, maybe you won't. I don't know. A, no, mus a musician slash actor. I don't know who. David Bowie. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he turned it down. He said it was trash. He he was insulted by it, and I guess he chose to do Labyrinth instead. So I think everybody won. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'm a huge Christopher Walken fan. As much as I love James Bond, I love Christopher Walken. So A View to a Kill is sort of a marriage of two, uh, an actor that I'm very, very passionate about with my favorite movie series. So uh, I was very, very happy uh, with him. Although it, it has its flaws. And when we get into, you know, discussing the movie and analyzing it a little more, I'll discuss the few things that I didn't like that Christopher Walken did in this movie. What, so. Do you think Deer Hunter is his greatest role? Oh, geez, that's tough. I mean, it, he deserved the Oscar for it. Uh, the Dead Zone, the Cronenberg movie, The Dead Zone would be way up there for me. I really liked him in Catch Me If You Can. I loved him mm -hmm. in Suicide Kings. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, you, you know what? The first time, do you remember the first time you saw Christopher Walken? We're doing a lot of, do you remember your first? You, uh, I remember the first time I saw Christopher Walken and he made such an impression on me. Do you remember the first time you saw him? Yeah, and I have a feeling it's the same thing. Batman Returns. You got it. I went in there for Batman. I went in there for Catwoman, the Penguin, and I walked out and this guy with the big hair, also a little Donald Trump-esque now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, he was really I was blown away by this guy I was like this guy's this Max Shrek who now I know he took his name from uh, the actor who played Nosferatu in the movie uh, or Count the Count Warlock or whatever his name was in Nosferatu mm. uh tremendous and i just uh, i was like wow this guy and i really you know then years later when i started realizing who he was and seeing him in other movies i was like this guy's incredible and he that you know sh sort of became my favorite actor and i feel like when we were in high school and college he sort of became i called him the mariano rivera of actors like the way a relief <laughs> pitcher comes in and closes a game and sort of i feel like he would come into a comedy or even a drama do a scene or two, have a cameo that would be a great scene or a memorable scene, and then leave. It's like he comes in, he does his thing, and he goes. And he makes the movie better. So uh, he sort of was doing that for a long time. And then I guess he's old now, and I guess he stopped. I'm not entirely sure uh, what he's up to now. But uh, he was um, very well, he was very in, popular in high school and college for, for us. He was in True Romance, right, that we watched? That was, okay, 93. And once again, one yeah. scene. One amazing, incredible scene where I've seen T-shirts that say, you're a cantaloupe with his face on it. So, mm -hmm. um, And he always dances in all of his movies, or he tries to. He's a classically trained dancer. The Fat Boy Slim video illustrated that. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's... he's 
very there's never been another actor like him the, the way he just the way he talks the way he pronounces his lines the way he does so many things he's just so interesting and i'm glad he got to be a bond villain even though maybe he didn't you know and bond movies in 1985 weren't what bond movies were in the 2000s so he didn't quite you know have that same opportunity and get to treat it like javier bardem got to be right. the bond villain in skyfall so it wasn't treated with the same gravitas Right. Um, I was just, as you're mentioning, you know, movies that he made cameos in and in comedies, but also, you also said dramas, um, Pulp Fiction. Oh, great, yes, of course. Great Another movie. great one scene. Yeah, one yep. scene. And uh, people say that's the best scene in the whole movie. We're talking I about know. The Watch. Yeah. Yep. So, so many great moments with Christopher Walken. His career is just, uh, yeah, I could, too, too much to say. Not enough time. Mm hmm. Um, other than him, I mean, Grace Jones is Mayday. I don't know her from anything other than this. She and was Tanya, very popular in what? I was going to say in Tanya Roberts, but okay. what about Grace Jones? Well, they were both. At the time, in the mid to early 80s, Grace Jones was popular as a singer. I believe she's Jamaican. I'm not sure. So she's sort of a Caribbean American or, uh, you know, a black icon mm. from her time. Uh, okay. Yeah, and if you watch the I have the DVD, you watch the ads, the ad campaign, they were really pushing May Day hard. It wasn't like they were pushing Christopher Walken or Tanya Roberts. Uh, they were pushing her, and, you know, as James Bond met his match, May Day. Uh, so she was getting a lot of the, the movie was centered on her, and she's sort of the bad Bond girl. Um, but uh, I, I liked her in this. She was in the horrible Conan the Destroyer, a very silly Conan movie. That's sort of the mm -hmm. octopusy of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, let's say that. Um, but uh, And once again, I think that was the same year, the year after. Um, so that, uh, she was kind of big in the 80s. I don't know off the top of my head what else she's done. Tanya Roberts, I thought, was so beautiful. Did you ever see The Beastmaster? No, but I've heard of it. Okay. There was a time, I guess around the same time that they were having the James Bond, uh, you know, uh, marathons on TBS all the time. They would show the Beastmaster on TBS all the time, where the TBS got nicknamed the Beastmaster Station, the TBS. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought she was so beautiful in that, and I thought she was so beautiful in this. She just passed away recently. I think it was late 2020 or early 2021. I don't know if it was COVID-related or something, but mm. she was... I don't 60s I guess too young to die uh but she and I remember yeah. saying she's not dead but then she was dead I guess she was in a coma or something so yeah she was in Charlie's Angels she was in Sheena did you ever see Sheena no okay I guess I'm more of a Tanya Roberts fan and then she did a lot of like B movies like late night Cinemax movies yeah. and of course she was in that 70s show Oh, okay. Who was yeah, she in she, that? The, the neighbor's wife. I forget the character. Oh, okay. The guy with the curly... Yeah, I forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. I have... That's a show I did like, and I haven't watched that in at least 15 years straight mm -hmm. through, so... Um, and then one other person I want to give a shout-out to. Did you notice a cameo by... We're talking about action heroes of the 80s. A future action star. I think this might have been one of his first movies. Um... No. Who? Maybe. Go ahead. Tell me who it was. Dolph Lundgren. No, he was in this? Do you remember the scene where Christopher Walken's Max Zorin goes against the KGB? No one leaves the KGB. Yeah. And Mayday, like, picks up a guy, like, gorilla press, yeah, body slams him, him yeah. throws him like he's nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
the guy that runs over to like aid the guy after he throws it, he looks up, watch that scene again. You can clearly tell in at least two or three shots, hey, that's Dolph Lundgren. And of course, 1985, that December, he would have his big breakout role as Ivan Drago in Rocky V, then go on to um, Masters of the Universe, play Uh, Mm -hmm. He-Man. He made some decent, you know, well, maybe not, but I like Masters of the Universe uh, for his silliness of once again showing my age. And I like Universal Soldier, with him and Jean-Claude Van Damme. I don't know if you ever saw that. But uh, yeah, Dolph no. Lundgren, very small part uh, in uh, A View to a Kill. And he got it because he was Grace Jones's boyfriend at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, interesting. I did not notice him in there. But I did notice a another uh, actress that I wanted to uh, point out. Uh, Jenny Flex was played by Allison yep. Duty, who yes, is the... Uh, the bad girl in um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yes, she was. Very good. Jenny Flex. Yeah, played by Allison Duty. And I can't mm-hmm. name another movie Allison Duty did, but. Uh... Me neither. In fact, when I, I, I saw her name come up in the opening credits, and I was like, really? I was like, I wonder if I'll be able to notice her. And as soon as she spoke, I was like, yep, that's her. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. distinct voice. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that was the only other person that I wanted to make a, a note of. Um,. All right, you ready to get into the play-by-play? I am ready to get into it, yes. So uh, didn't need to take many notes watching this one. I know it like most James Bond movies. I know it pretty well. Well, yeah, you probably know it better than I do. Well, I'm sure you know it better than I do. But um, all right, so it starts off with a quote about Zorin. Was that always there? Yes, this was the first James Bond movie to open up with something other than just the MGM United Artists logo uh-huh. into the, you know, uh, the gun barrel sequence. It, they it's had like because, a disclaimer. There is a Max Zorin, spelled Z-O-R-I-N, and they threatened to sue, or they were going to sue Albert R. Broccoli, Cubbert Bro- Cubby Broccoli, and, you know, because they didn't want... Their, it's, somehow, there is a real Max Zorin, he owns something, he's someone, somewhat of a big shot, and they had to put that up at the top because they didn't want to get sued, or he threatened to sue, so that was why they, they did that. So The, the I, first and only James Bond movie that I know of that had that discla- that has a disclaimer at the beginning. When I read that, I thought, I didn't know that that was always there, and I thought that maybe that was a new edition, and I thought because of the Silicon Valley that they were like trying to say, like, this isn't Microsoft or Apple or something like that. No, it was before that. I believe it's because there's a real Max Zorn. Yeah, it's the only okay. Bond movie to start off with, with some disclaimer like that. So. Okay, yeah, so it starts off with a disclaimer saying that, you know, all this is fictional and it's not based on anyone real. Um, I thought that was strange. And then, uh, then it gets into... Um, you know, your this the standard bond opening, which is him walking and what is that supposed to be? Is that are you supposed to is that supposed to be like someone looking down a scope of a gun or a yeah, gun it's a barrel? Gun barrel. It's a gun, oh, barrel. A gun barrel. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. Um and that started when what bond did that start with? The first one, Doctor No. Every single was one had a gun barrel, except for I think Quantum of Solace. Well, then they stopped starting movies with it. The Daniel Craig's got a little, you know, different a little more experimental which at first upset me but then three of the four daniel craigs that i've seen i think are great movies uh so even though they didn't start necessarily the same way and have all the linchpins you know of a james bond movie they still end up being very good movies nonetheless so i I forgive them because of that i i don't think any of his did until specter i think specter is the first one that had that well casino royale had it but it was during the fight in the bathroom, 
when he, he you know, oh, after he shoots. Okay. So it, it's done, but it's done a little differently. Quantum uh-huh. of Solace may not have it at all. Skyfall has it at the end, for sure. Yes. And yes. then, and Spectre, yes. But Spectre also started off unusual because it had a quote about the dead. And I was like, huh? What? What is that? What? I, I, I don't know. It was a little, you know, and then it went into writers of that movie at the Day of the Dead uh, festival. With yeah. That long um, shot. It was very impressive, I thought. So. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, this one, you know, starts off with that, that standard Bond opening and then it kind of has, you know, goes into like the cold open that, that Bonds have where in this case he, they're in some snowy area. Um, Pun intended there, Rich, with the cold open. Cold. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this one is really, yeah, this one, the pun was intended. Um, so yeah, they're in, uh, they're in a, the cold area. They, uh, I guess he's looking for, he's skiing. Um, looking for, I guess, one of the double, 003, I think it is, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always funny whenever there's other double O's in these movies, because the other double O's are so horrible. It's like, <laughs> how, is, <laughs> how is he so good and all the other ones are always dead? <laughs> the only other double O agent that I think is worth mentioning is, I'm not sure if you remember this, but Alec Trevelyan, 006 from Goldeneye. Well, he ends up being a bad guy. Right? Exactly, and he. But yeah. also, he was sort of like James Bond's equal. I thought that was really. But Golden Eyes another discussion for another one. But yeah, they mentioned 008, 003, You know, they mentioned all these other agents that James Bond has to you know come in and save in the the earlier movies for sure. Yeah, so. or they're or they're dead, or something. or they're already <laughs> dead, and he has to <laughs> fill in the mission now because they 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 didn't you know yeah. succeed. So yeah. Um, so yeah, he finds another double O and he's got this locket on him. And I guess inside the locket is this hidden microchip, which I guess that's the plot of this movie. Something with microchips. Uh, I, I don't know. I was trying to follow along the best I could with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then, you know, he's discovered there's a helicopter spots him. Um, there's a chase scene where he's on skis, then he's on a snowmobile. Then he's, then he's surfing on the ski of the snowmobile and a Beach Boys song is playing, and I was—I never saw that. I, uh, I know I never saw it because if I would have saw it, I would be so angry. And, <laughs> oh, see, I love that. Why don't you like oh that? My God. Oh God! Oh, I hated that. I if I had know. a complaint, go on. <laughs> is it because it didn't fit? I oh, mean, I disagree. I, I love it. it. Fits. I guess it fits in Roger Moore Bond movies. Exactly. Any, any yeah. other Daniel Bond Craig, movie. it wouldn't have fit. Yeah. No. Not even Sean Connery or... Well, Sean Connery, it definitely wouldn't fit. Brosnan, maybe. Brosnan, go watch Die Another Day. He does way more ridiculous than that. But maybe they don't play the Beach Boys uh, over it. Right. So it, exactly. so it has a more serious tone, which in turn, I think, makes it almost worse, I think. so. Yeah, at least the Beach Boys tone at least made at least let the audience know, hey, we, we who are making this movie also know how yeah. ridiculous this the, is. The good and bad thing about Roger Moore's movies, maybe the exception, the two exceptions possibly being The Spy Who Loved Me, well, maybe his earlier ones, maybe The Man with the Golden Gun, Live and Let Die, and certainly For uh, Your Eyes Only has some very serious parts. There's, It's good and bad. There's never a sense of urgency with Roger Moore's. Yeah, the world is supposed to end, but you know it's not going to end. Yeah, mm-hmm. Daniel Craig, I know I'm watching a movie when it's Daniel Craig or when it's Sean Connery, but you still feel that suspense. You feel right. that sense of urgency. Okay, he's got to do that. Uh-oh, now it's getting close. Uh, you know... Roger Moore is so lighthearted and so loose and silly and clever and whimsical that it 
it doesn't. So you could play the Beach Boys. You could play the Beach Boys at any point in most of Roger Moore's movies. <laughs> and it's probably going to, if anything, it might enhance it. So I disagree with you. I thought that was a good call, a good edit, good use of it. I just remember thinking at the time, because remember, that was around the time David Lee Roth broke away from Van Halen and went solo. And mm-hmm. one of his famous songs on his first uh, solo album was Just a Gigolo. And he did a cover as well of California Girls. Yeah. So I thought maybe that was David Lee Roth for a second. But no, it's it's the Beach Boys. Yeah, um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. I okay. just felt like it was a little too silly. Mm. I, I mean, his movies are like you said; they're lighthearted and silly enough on their own. You throw mm. in that, and then it gets just puts it over the edge for for me. Mm. Um, then he falls into you know, I guess he escapes, and he he falls into like some kind of submarine looking thing that is also looks like a. a uh, iceberg, I guess. Yep, yep. Um, and that's his, uh, that's his little escape boat. Um, to me that, that it was that moment. And I think I've said this to you before where he just looks so old. In this yeah. Movie. That's, that's the biggest complaint about a view to a kill is he's a little too old. And I, I guess I always noticed it, but we'll, we'll talk more about how I think it's a fitting farewell to, This movie, to me, marks the end of an era, not just for James Bond, but for a lot of the things that were James Bond. And then there, a lot of the things, the people, the -the behind-the-scenes people would be holdovers for the two um, Timothy Dalton movies afterwards. But then by the time, the six years after License to Kill, when Pierce Brosnan would take over, other than Albert R. Broccoli and actually his daughter Dana Broccoli and her husband, uh, writer and producer Michael G. Wilson... There really isn't much of the same uh, people. Mm. That, there's a lot of the same people that worked from Dr. No to A View to a Kill. This was their swan song as well. And then a, a bunch, you know, a few big names still hung around for Living Daylights and License to Kill. But then by the time you got to 1995, nobody else from the Dr. No uh, era was really still around or involved. They might have been still alive, but they were not involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I do like about A View to a Kill. And as far as the beginning goes, the I really... The only complaint I have was watching it this time, you know, maybe because my TV's gotten better, okay, with HD quality and that sort of thing. You can really tell when it's a double... And oh, God. When it's a, and I don't think that Roger Moore ever went to any sort of cold, snowy, Arctic location. I'm pretty sure that all the close-up shots were somewhere in a studio and with him wearing a big coat. And then anything wider than from the neck down, it wasn't him. And that was all second unit uh, filming. So, so I didn't I notice it as bad until this time around. So I re- yeah I agree I mean I I bought I rented the uh, ultra HD version of this movie and on, when it opened I was like man this looks fantastic and then there was a scene a, a quick shot of him on the snowmobile where they wanted to prove like oh this is him driving it and it looks so bad Aww. because you could tell it was just him with a green screen behind him mm. and it, it just looked silly bad like they would have been better off not having that shot in there okay. and just using the sticking with the stunt double because at least it looked good mm. um yeah so anytime that you're right anytime it was a the close up or or they tried to make it look like he was actually doing something and it was so blatantly obvious yeah. because of the the quality difference yeah. um so i did write that down to a horrible green screen that was a massive fail, I guess, uh, in retrospect. But but on the plus side, 
what did you think of John Barry's score that he composed for A View to a Kill? Just, well, just all... in this opening scene alone. And I also skipped the song. I didn't talk about the song. Well, we didn't um, get up to that. We've still only talked about the first oh, uh, five minutes. Yet, yeah. We haven't got so so the the music score. I, I, what do you think of that? You know, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't not not too much stuck out to me. I noticed that it goes along throughout the movie. It goes along with the the theme song. Well, a lot of jo- all John Barry scores did that. Oh, so okay. he's a great yeah. Go back and watch some other older Bond movies. He composed the bulk of the series. There's maybe only two or three up until the Daltons that he never composed. Like I know he didn't mm-hmm. do the Spy Who Loved Me. That was uh, Marvin Hamlish. Uh, that one has a little more funky BGS kind of sound. Uh, same thing with Bill Conti's score from For Your Eyes Only. But the bulk of the series was John Barry, and I think. In my humble opinion, this is one of the best ones he did. Like the you know the score that he has going through it, dun, 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 dun. and then when he does the dun, 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 the view to a kill, you know the way they insert that into like an orchestral form. Uh, I I loved it. I think this is one of his best scores. So I think that's one of the strongest points of the movie. Anyone wants to rip apart a view to a kill? Fine, okay. There's there's a lot to rip apart, but you can't say anything bad about this music score. And same thing with License to Kill. I can people love that. I can rip that movie to shreds if I wanted to, but I won't say anything bad. And that's actually not even um, John Barry. That's Michael Kamen. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the the sound of James Bond is almost as important as the visual uh, look of James Bond in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I, it, it like I said, I did notice it a lot during the movie, how it kind of sounded like the theme song. Um, I thought it was good. I didn't, yeah, that's not one of the downfalls of this movie for sure. Um, so yeah, the score was, was solid. Um, so then, um, so then when you have the, so then, you know, like I said, they get away and he makes some pun with the girl and, and I don't even remember what it was, but they're, they're, they're <laughs> Roger Moore's, Roger Moore's always making a pun. So that's yeah. just, yeah. Um, and then, then you get the opening title and, uh, this move, the opening title and the, and the song, uh, this song is, I think it's called A View to a Kill, right? It is, yep. Um, by Duran Duran. Yep, there you go, Duran Duran. So it's very, very 80s. What did mm-hmm. you think of the song, Rich? I like it. I, it's not one of my favorites, but it's not one of, it's It's nowhere near the way. It's probably top 10, right? Uh, maybe even top, mm, I don't know about top 5, but it's definitely top 10. Um, it's a solid song. Duran Duran is, is a solid 80s band. I, I, I like their music. I, you know, I don't love it, and I don't know any deep tracks, but the, you know, the, the mainstream songs, I, I know them, and I like them. What about and you? This was Duran Duran's only number one song on the UK and US Billboard charts. This was also the only James Bond song to go to number one. So all the Goldfinger, Carly Simon, Sheena Easton, all the other great Bond songs and great, you know, people that have sung the Bond songs over the years. So many amazing artists. This is the only one. Maybe Adele's went to number one. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that was Skyfall. Big time. That was huge. But this was the only one. And it is a big departure for a James Bond song. They were trying, like mm-hmm. you said, trying to mimic the style, trying to be trendy. Roger Moore was old, so they stuck with him. They stuck with tradition there. But then they, you know, instead of Shirley Bassey, who sang, you know, Goldfinger and uh, 
uh, Moonraker and Diamonds Are Forever or a Nancy Sinatra or a Carly Simon. They went with, you know, the popular, a very popular band at the time. And they did the same thing. They tried to recreate that success with uh, The Living Daylights, the theme song called The Living Daylights, sung by um, AHA, actually. So, um, yeah, so, but I think it was a good departure. I, I was very impressed. It doesn't feel James Bond, but I always like Maurice Binder's opening uh, credits. I think he did almost all the opening credits up until License to Kill. So once again, so he would only do one or two more, you know, opening credits, and then he'd be replaced by what they have now and the, you know, predominantly CGI opening credits montage uh, that mm-hmm. they would have throughout the Pierce Brosnan. So I really did like this song. I really like the very 80s neon black light effects over the women, uh, stuff like that, and the, the big hair, but I thought it was really good, so. All right. Um, yeah, so then uh, they there's, you know, I think he goes to his headquarters and, and, you know, you find out about chips, the chips that are missing and some kind of special chip that can't be uh, fried by uh, electromagnetic or a nuclear bomb or something. Um, is that, am I, do I have that right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? something like some that. Kind of, no, some I, kind of I microchip. Just, I, yeah, I know at one point, and then after that, that they the chips, they go to the horse racing and that's yeah. where we meet Zorin yep. and Mayday and yeah. Yeah, they go to a horse race where there's um, uh, Zorin's horse wins and uh, they're they're talking and oh, I never saw a horse that got so fast in the last stretch like that. And the horse was acting a little um, was going a little crazy. Um, Pegasus, I think, was the horse. That name. is the they name. Say, yes, Pegasus. Yeah, they, yeah. they say it is, about yeah. three hundred times. Yeah, this is also where they meet. Uh, we meet Miss Moneypenny and uh, Mayday, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we meet Moneypenny, and this is her farewell. Lois Maxwell had been Moneypenny, I believe. She had been in every single Bond movie up until this point. I think this was the. I forget what number it was, but uh, but this was her last uh, film and. You t- thought Roger Moore looked old, you know, she looks yeah. very, but but what I did like about it was she looked her age and his age, so the flirting, flirtations that they would always have, that at least felt appropriate. Uh, I don't think Roger Moore could get away with being James Bond with, uh, he, he felt awkward, and I, I did read Roger Moore's book, My Word is My Bond, and he did not like filming this movie, and he did not like working with uh, Grace Jones, and he did not like working with Tanya Roberts either, and he said he felt awkward because he was older than Tanya Roberts' parents at the time. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say, Money Penny. The the flirtation with with Money Penny is the only logical flirtation in this movie because the other ones, he, it's just it, you're right. It's, it's it's like awkward how yeah. old he looks compared to how young they are. And maybe because we're woke now, when I rewatched it this time, that was the one thing that stood out that I didn't you know mm-hmm. think about before. I was always like, oh, or you know, or maybe the HD quality that we have now. You know, I never thought, oh my God, Roger Moore's so old and you know tanya roberts is so young and yeah whatever. it's a little yeah. little creepy um yeah. so um yeah so then you know that's you're right we meet money penny now um you mentioned this being her last one now q uh he was in at least one of the pierce brosnan ones was he, he was in, in the all the, the pierce brosnans he was in all the dalton ones he was in all of the I, the only one he wasn't in uh i'm pretty sure was dr no 
He shows up in From Russia with Love. They call him Boothroyd, okay, which is his (laughs) real last name. Yeah, the James Bond geek. I know this stuff. Um, So they call him Boothroyd. And then Q, he's, like you said, Goldfinger is the first kind of official James Bond. And that's the one that set the blueprint that all James Bonds would follow up until Casino Royale. And that was the one where, yeah, he's Q, he's got the laboratory, he has the attitude about 007, they, they you know, decided, alright, don't be mean to 007, you don't like him because he destroys all your cars and all your inventions, mm-hmm. bring it back in one piece, you know, and so that's where that whole shtick started. And he would carry that through all the way up until he, uh, till The World Is Not Enough was his last film, he died shortly after that, so... Okay, so that was the, what, third Brosnan one, right? Yes, yeah, the only one, because he was not alive for Die Another Day. That one was all John Cleese. Yeah, That That one was John Cleese. John Cleese was in The World Is Not Enough, so I guess they were grooming, because I don't remember Uh, how old he was, but he was almost, he looked like 100, but he was, I think he was in his late 80s when he passed away. 87, 88, I'm not sure, but yeah, they were, you know... You know, there wasn't so much that he could do uh, anymore, so they made it, uh, yeah, John Cleese was going to take over eventually, but then event- then the James Bond movies decided to take a whole new direction with Daniel Craig. Gotcha. So, yeah. All right, so, um, yeah, so then, like we said, there's a horse race, you're introduced to Zorin and um, uh, Mayday, um, then there is... Um, uh, you find out that he's there's this uh, person that's kind of uh, I guess he's like a private detective that's looking into Zorin, um, who James Bond wants to meet and kind of get information from. Mm-hmm. So they go to a restaurant at the Eiffel Tower. Um, <laughs> the guy's killed by a butterfly. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty pretty lame scene. But then the follow up scene is amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, so he's killed by a butterfly on a string. Um, which is like a puppet that's in the show that's happening. I don't, I, if it sounds bonkers, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, so then, then there's a chase on the top of the Eiffel Tower, which then leads to Mayday jumping off the Eiffel Tower with a parachute and James Bond jumping onto, uh, an elevator or the roof of an elevator, get down faster. Um, then you have a, a chase through Paris, I guess. Um, where at one point the car that Bond is driving gets hit and snaps in half. I love that part. <laughs> oh my god! And he's driving a half car through <laughs> through the streets of Paris for for way longer than that car should, has any business driving. And once again, um, you can tell it's a stunt double in a lot of these. Yeah, oh yeah, this, yeah, yeah. He Roger Moore was never actually in the half car. You can that's very well, the very end when he gets out of it is the only. There you go. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But um, then he ends up on a on a barge on a, and interrupts a wedding and hands the bride the cake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow he because that's where the that's where Mayday lands. So then yeah. he goes on there and yeah, it's 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 all. And then she gets on another boat and she escapes with Christopher Walken, and Max Zorn, and they have this obnoxious fake laugh <laughs> as he drives. Oh away. yeah, it was such yeah. a such a fake maniacal laugh. Um, okay. Yeah, it was like a little. He comes pulling up in a speedboat. 
Yeah. And, you can, and, yeah. And rescues her. You can rip apart the death by butterfly. What is it? There's a fly in his soup. Roger Moore has another one of those yes. one-liners. Yes. And then he chases after Mayday, who was the assassin. Uh, and I think the chase on the Eiffel Tower is great. I think the stunt work after that. I, the whole, af- everything after that detective dies, I think is really good. So you can criticize it all you want. You'll never convince me it's bad. It's not. It's not bad. The half car was a little ridiculous, but up until that point, it was all fine. Like, and I liked the you know the chase on the Eiffel Tower. I thought it was fine, and and you know even the him driving through Paris and that little car just reminded me of my time in in England. I've never been to Paris, but my my, my times in in England and, and Italy and stuff. So. Um, I, I did enjoy that piece. Um, I thought, you know, the fact that the car got hit and like legitimately just snapped in half. It wasn't even like it was like the cleanest break, like like it was put together with magnets. Um, <laughs> That's a good, good comparison. Yeah, everyone should get the good visualization of that. I, I will say that I did go to that restaurant in the uh, Eiffel Tower when I was in France and I did think, oh. I wonder if there's a fly. Butterflies are going to come out of fishing, <laughs> fishing poles. And, yeah. you know, I, I remember looking up there and looking out and it's beautiful and just having a drink. And I, of course, thought of James Bond and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could go higher and parachute off like May Day. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely, yeah, definitely thought of that when I was at the Eiffel Tower. Um, probably not the only one to think of that, though. There's other people that love this movie and love James Bond. So, yeah, um, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's 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 a good scene. It's it's, you know, and if you think that's ridiculous, Rich, I really want you to see Die Another Day or Octopussy or some of the real preposterous 007 movies. Because if you can't believe what they're doing in this movie, I I don't know. I, I'd love to see your reaction to the super, super, super ridiculous ones. Uh, I, I didn't think, overall, I didn't think this was the most ridiculous Bond movie. Um just that the 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 half car thing and <laughs> okay. that that was just silly um and and but no overall the plot of this movie isn't that insane the plot's it, all it, over the place and very convoluted but yeah. it's, oh yes but it's it's somewhat possible i guess um in terms in the grand scheme of things um you know it's not the most outlandish thing i mean he's not trying to you know, blow up the world or even conquer the world. He's or go to, to the moon like a moonraker. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's just trying to take out Silicon Valley to gain an edge on the competition uh, for his business. Which to me, there's got to be an easier way. <laughs> all, the, all the work he's going through to to take out the competition <laughs> than killing everyone in Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, killing hundreds of thousands. Um, you know, messing with the faults of the Earth, right? Yeah, yep. To, to create a giant earthquake that floods it, I guess is the is his whole plan. I mean, couldn't he just hire a good marketing firm? <laughs> <laughs> That would be too much work, Rich. Come on, yeah, you gotta I think guess. diabolical, diabolical. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, the whole thing was was silly, but probably one of the more, you know, not not really outlandish things. I mean, I guess it's somewhat possible that he, this is happening. You know, it's not like he was, like I said, he wasn't trying to conquer the world and and or ask for you know hundreds of billions of dollars from somewhere, you know, or some kind of ransom. Well, or something when like he's that. that scene on the blimp where he asks all the investors to give him a hundred million dollars, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he he needed that and. Um, and the one guy said no, and <laughs> very <laughs> funny throw, scene. Yeah, that thrown was out the scene. blimp. Yeah. Well, you don't realize they're on a blimp until that moment. That I'm like, right. Oh, that's true. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so um, let's go back to to where we were. So then there's um, then there's a horse auction at yep. uh, Zorin's place, which is some kind of like French chateau, I guess. Um, right? I mean, it's like a huge. Castle. I mean, the, the horse stables are bigger than most people's houses. Think of the the, the richest people you know. Their houses aren't as big as this guy's horse stables. Okay, and that was a so. that was a joke in the film too, because they say like, "Oh, are these are the stables," and he's like, "No, those are the servants' quarters. These are the yeah. stables. And the yeah, stables are so much better. <laughs> so than the much bigger." Quarters. And then his actual houses, I mean, it's uh, like Buckingham yeah. Palace, although uh, yeah. even better, probably. So yeah, it's it's insane. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. So that, and that's where this is where he's at a party. He's undercover. Is do you remember his uh, the the alias he uses? Oh God! He says it eight million times too. Saint John or something like that. James Sinjin Smythe. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I love the way he says it. And I know oh, what you're going to criticize in this scene. First of all, this is where we meet uh, Stacy Sutton, the uh, Tanya Roberts character. She comes off the helicopter. She's beautiful. You don't know if she's good or bad quite uh, yet at this point, but this is where we first see her. Um, and James Bond interacts with May Day, and Patrick McNee is Tibbetts, the uh, you know agent. Mm-hmm. The secu- with that's him. the security guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he's working with James Bond, trying to find out what's going on with these horses and this microchip, and if the horses are drugged or on steroids or something. I don't know how they tie in together, but somehow they do. Um, what are you going to criticize about this scene? Let's hear it, Rich. All right, so. Um, I, when I said security guy, I was actually thinking of the, of the bad guy security. Oh, Scorpus! What's his name? Scar, yes. Scarpine or something? Yeah, yeah Scarpine like yeah, with a scar on his face. Yeah, okay. yeah. And we yeah. meet the evil doctor, and we learn a little bit about the old guy. We learn a little bit that Max Zorn was like a test tube baby from Nazi Germany, and he yeah, grew where up they in were the injecting yeah. steroids into fetuses, and most of them were aborted. However, some of them weren't. So, and he's one of the ones that weren't. But 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 why? Why was that even mentioned? Because it really didn't have anything to do with it. To explain why he's insane, I thought. And that's where the evil doctor comes in. I like that explanation, tying it into... I I thought that was cool. That had a little bit of World War II. Yeah, the evil doctor who is... Who is like his father figure. I like that part, so... Um, Um, What am I gonna... Uh, the scene where he's at the dinner with all the horses, all the rich people. What are you gonna criticize? You're not gonna make fun of those glasses? Oh my god, the glass the, the, Yeah, the um the 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 um the ones that I guess he like tweaks them and they become like X ray glasses, those <laughs> Or they just yeah. become sort of like what do you call that when you you know you can see better underwater the uh, I don't know. I'm blanking oh, on like, the like, like at a doctor's office where he's like, this one or this one? And there you go. Yeah, kind of yeah. like that. Or Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, he does um, something to the lenses so he could see through the window without the reflection. He watches Zorin give Tanya Roberts yeah. uh, All right. so I do, a I do have I do have cataract glasses written here, <laughs> and I couldn't remember what I why I wrote that, but yes, that's... I thought you were going to say worst spy glasses ever or worst 80s glasses ever, one or the other. Those are by far... So James Bond usually has cool fashion and cool mm-hmm. style. The, that is, even for 1985, the worst fashion statement of a James no, Bond it was it was like grandpa glasses. It's like when you go to the eye doctor. Worse than that, grandpa glasses later. would have the big things where they go all the way around your face, you know, your head. Yeah, this yeah, was yeah. just like really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, those glasses were yeah. terrible. Uh, eye um, doctor glasses, I guess, is the best. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. When you when you get your eyes dilated right, and like they you, give you yeah, those you big said, glasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. 
Yeah, so then there's there's uh, a horror... So then they find this hidden lab where, um, you know, they go down in the stables. Under the horse stables. Under yep. the horse stables, yeah. There's a hidden lab. There's a horrible fight scene. And I mean horrible. <laughs> with the boxes um, and the stuff. Yeah, the with the boxes. <laughs> that whole thing. It, it, that is a weak scene. You're not wrong about that. Yeah. Um, do you find out that they're the, the so somehow the microchips are tied into injecting a steroid into the horse um, when it, it, there's like a trigger in the jockey's whip. Um, and that's why the horses weren't testing positive for steroids because they were getting injected mid-race. Um, because of the the microchip, I guess injects the steroids. Yep, yep. Because um, steroids work that fast, Rich. <laughs> they do instant, instantly. It's like it's like hitting the. All uh, Barry Bonds had to do was take us take the steroids right before his at bat. So and then that yeah. was all. He, yeah. yeah, it's it's like hitting like a nitrous oxide button in a car. It's just instant, <laughs> there you instant go. juice. There you um. Go. Any anyway, so um. Yeah, horrible fight. So these are my notes. Horrible fight scene. Sleeps with Mayday. <laughs> yep, he has to run and escape back, and he does. Yeah. He goes really quick, and because Mayday, they're they're onto him. Uh, Mayday and Zorin, and so they're gonna go check his room. And she goes, "Let me get dressed." And she's because she was doing karate before in a thong mm-hmm. or in this weird, you know leotard and yeah. uh then she's in a robe and she's like and actually uh roger moore hated shooting that scene with he said she was actually she had a dildo and she kept prodding and poking him with it in that scene under the covers oh my god <laughs> yeah she's he did not like grace jones in his book he, he didn't like he, he's denounced this movie so it, it's tough yeah. to defend when you know the the star he, he said it's his least favorite uh Bond movie, mm-hmm. um, and that he regrets making it. He thought he was too old to do it, um, but uh, but he did it because Octopussy was a hit, and it ended. Up, it came out the same summer as uh, Never Say Never Again, and it ended up actually, even though everyone was hyped up about Sean Connery returning to James Bond in Never Say Never Again, Octopussy actually did make more money. So mm-hmm. they thought, okay, Roger Moore's still you know popular. He's still good, but they went to the well maybe one time too many. But yep. I still think A View to a Kill is a Good film. So, all right. Um, so then we talked about. Uh, so then, um, then, then he meets with Zorin the next morning, and and uh, I actually like that scene with um, with with um, Zorin um, Christopher Walker. I thought he did a good job there, where he's like talking about horses. However, he's actually looking up who James Bond is. Yeah, I do um, like that and, scene. The retro computer, but yeah, it's uh, very. I wrote. I wrote old te- old tech. I wrote with the computer with like the little the little readout and the graphic and everything. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I did like that scene how he's like, oh, like I have a, oh, he's like where it says like license to kill. And he's like, ooh, <laughs> um, and you think he, you know, he's he's pretending to be talking about horses, but he's actually looking at James Bond's uh, little stats, I guess. Yeah. Um, then his partner gets killed in a car wash. I actually felt bad for that. I, I yeah. did too, and I like the scene how Mayday sneaks into the car. She won't open the gate, and then he gets out, opens the gate, and then she. Yeah, I, I did like that scene. So, and I, even I though actually, I, I did feel bad as well. Yeah, and I liked how she, you know, the reveal of you know, you see the car wash getting washed, and you see him, and then you see a shadow come up from the back mm-hmm. seat, um, and then you see him like kind of you know struggling. Yeah. Um, so I did feel bad that that, that guy died because I did like him. Um, well, that that was another actor we could mention, Patrick McNee. He was in the original show, The Avengers. Oh, okay. 
Not the, not the. No, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Okay, yeah, the, the one that Sean Connery and Ralph Fiennes did the remake of in the '90s mm-hmm. that was horrible, the American remake. But the yeah. old '60s show was him and Diana Rigg, who was also Diana Rigg was a Bond girl in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. She's actually mm-hmm. the one that becomes James Bond's wife. She was the female lead, Emma Peel, in uh, the old '60s British show, The Avengers. And then was uh, Alana Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Yes, she was. And then she I think she passed away shortly before the pandemic yeah. or after the pandemic. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. she's a very, very good, uh, respected uh, British actress. So. Um, so after the partner gets killed in the car wash, uh, for some reason, I don't remember how this happens. You probably do. But I remember him sucking air out of a tire. Well, they have this horse race, and then he gives Bond the horse with the steroids. He pushes the button. The horse runs away. They eventually oh, they get Bond. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, yeah. throw him in the back of the car. He wakes up, and yeah, he's under the um, the underwater and sucking the air to survive while they watch to make sure that the you know they're both dead and they don't get out of the car. That horse race scene was terrible. I'm sorry, but it was. It didn't um, bother me. Uh, the the guys that are crouched under the thing hitting the button so the fences rise higher and, that, didn't, that didn't bother me okay. and and just I don't know just seeing him on the horse uh, I, <laughs> looked silly to me um yeah so then you learn that I guess Zorin was once KGB um because they show up at one point um and and he's saying like I'm bigger than the KGB now I doesn't need them anymore mm-hmm. um. Then they use that line, you know, once you're in the KGB, you're always in the KGB or something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of wrapped up And this up was this the scene too. before where if you watch it again, you'll notice Dolph Lundgren. If you know to look yeah. for him, you you can't miss it. So, mm-hmm. uh, so then then you find out that um, this, then there's the, the blimp scene where you don't know they're in a blimp. Um, and his, his plan to take out Silicon Valley... Uh, so that they can be the the number one, he can be the number one uh, microchip manufacturer in the world. Um, good scene, you know. He, he, the one guy says, "No, I'm not doing it," because he's one. They, he's saying that you know you got to pay me a hundred million dollars or something if you want to get in this. Um, one guy says no. They say, "All right, fine. Wait outside." And then he, you know, the, the stairs turn into a ramp, which drops him right out of the blimp. Um, and then he, and, and that's the reveal that. that they're on the blimp. So that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. And then there's the pun. Anyone else want to drop out? Uh, Walken is so good <laughs> in that scene. Project Main Strike. <laughs> the way he says it, it's, it's like, why is Walken delivering his lines like that? And then you got to ask yourself, if you know enough about Christopher Walken, why isn't he delivering his lines like that? Is the correct question. So right. He's he's really good. Yeah. That that is a good scene. Um, hmm. Um. There is, um, did you notice, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, anytime they're in the city hall, there's several shots of a staircase. That is the staircase from the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark um, that he walks down at the end, um, right before they show the scene of the Ark being put into a box. And because it's Pinewood Studios, because they're filmed at the same studio, uh, where the, it's called the James Bond soundstage now. Um, but yeah, I did not know that, but that makes sense. You know, as much as I know about James Bond, you know more about Indiana Jones, I think. So that, yeah. that was cool. I did not know that. Yeah, so that's that that's that that is actual San Francisco City Hall that staircase and um, where it was filmed in this movie and in in Indiana Jones it's supposed to be Washington D.C. Oh, um, I stand corrected then. Okay, so yeah. but I do oh, yeah, know so I, I believe that the Star Wars and Indiana Jones films were filmed at Pinewood Studios in England. 
Uh, oh yeah, they definitely were. Um, okay, just that 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 staircase is used at the end, the very end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it was used multiple times here. It's 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 a famous mm-hmm. staircase. If you if you Google it, like there's hundreds of images of it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's a you know it's a nice building, the San Francisco City Hall, um, and that was where you know a lot of scenes. I'm sure not the, you know the guy's office where they are that gets set on fire and all that. I'm sure oh, that's no, not, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. filmed in a studio, but um, yeah. there are some scenes filmed actually filmed in that building. Um, so, um, yeah, like I said, then there's a fire at city hall after they kill the, uh, I don't know who the guy is that's working there. Somehow he's wrapped up in this. That was, uh, Tanya Roberts's boss. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. he was, that's an actor named Daniel Benzali. He was in a, uh, I forgot about it. He was in a movie that I liked back in the nineties called murder at 1600 with Wesley Snipes. Oh yeah, isn't Dennis Miller in that? He is in that. Yes, when Dennis (laughs) Miller had a brief, he was so popular he couldn't act, but they put him in movies. Uh, He was in that. He was in Bordello of Blood. He was in Disclosure. Yeah, so yeah, Dennis Miller had a you know a a little movie run, but yeah, Daniel Benzali was like the uh, chief of security of the White House uh, that was trying to stop Wesley Snipes from solving the crime or something something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, so in this movie, he's kind of tied in with Zorin, um, and he's also Tony Roberts' boss. Um, she goes there to plead, you know, that you have to, you know, not be involved with this guy anymore, and he fires her. Um, you find out that she was, what, once an oil... She, she has oil money, her family, um, but then he, Zorin, kind of took over and, and paid her $5 million to just go away. She tried to fight. She was trying to fight him off for years in court. She has this big mansion with no furniture in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she won't let her house go. He wants her house. He wants her house. Yeah. But yeah, she won't let it go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a little backstory there with her. Um, so then there's a fire at City Hall. There's this whole elevator scene where the elevator's on fire. They have to climb out of the shaft. Uh, I don't know. I guess it was okay. You like all that? Yes, I do. I, <laughs> I like the fire scenes. I like the... And I, of course, you might criticize it, but I love the scene afterwards, the chase through San Francisco on the fire engine. I love that. I didn't hate that. Um, okay. No, I didn't hate that at all. Actually, um, I, I didn't. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I, Even it when it got decent. silly at the end with the fat cop with the mustache and making those faces, I still thought it was good and very well. Uh, the cops in general in this movie did not need to be there. Um, I, I thought they were they were silly. Again, I think they're in the end of the movie too. Um, when the blimp is coming, going over or something, right? Aren't they? Isn't it at least the one mean guy? I think you see that one, and his car gets destroyed again. So because everyone's up looking at the blimp or something. Yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah, 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 real yeah. Quick. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's when the blimp is going through the city, and James Bond is hanging from a rope. Right. Um. Yeah. So, um, fire truck chase. I wrote. Then there's um. Then then they're in the mine. They get the you know they get down to Christopher the mine where their their plan is to flood, uh the something with the faults and they're the gonna fault line double, yeah double they're gonna earthquake flood. yeah and destroy all of Silicon all Valley. Silicon Valley by flooding it. Um, I, I thought I wrote I wrote this down. Christopher Walken had a funny delivery of a line when they see James Bond in the mine. He see the way he said get him and I don't remember it now. But I remember laughing last night the way he said it. <laughs> it's just a classic, like, walk-in delivery. I like later towards the end when they're on the blimp and he get, it's wrapped around the Golden Gate Bridge. It goes, more, more power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorites, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it gets a little dark uh, where when he floods the mine and starts killing all his own workers and starts. I was gonna them, say, yeah, gunning that, them down. I agree with you a hundred percent, and that is where when I wrote about this movie, uh, that was probably what doesn't work the most is you know the scene where max zoran is gunning down his workers just these workers in a mine i found it a little bit disconcerting and it doesn't fit with the mood of the this movie or the rest of roger moore's uh bond pictures and roger moore found fault with that he didn't like seeing those people all get mowed down by machine guns and you know christopher walken's laughing while he's doing it yeah i I did find that that's something yes i agree that's not good yeah and the thing is like how are you gonna have a movie that has that and also has james bond ski surfing to the beach boys like how are they how is that the same movie that's a problem okay that's a legitimate problem you're not wrong yeah yeah um I mean, I get what they were trying to do. I mean, obviously, they just want to show you how berserk this guy really is, but there's other ways to do it. It went a little too far. For a PG James Bond movie, I mean, the the first PG-13 was licensed to kill, uh, and then all the Brosnans would go. And obviously, the you know the Daniel Craigs are even more darker and more adult-oriented, even though they're PG-13. Um, but yeah, this was the... It just didn't fit, you know? It didn't... Yeah. Uh, it didn't sit Not, well with me when I saw it then, and it still doesn't sit well with me. And you know, I tell you how much I love Christopher Walken, and I do love him in this movie. That I, I, yeah, that that I don't like. I, I won't defend that. So, yeah. Um, and then at that point, you know, he also lets leaves Mayday to to draw to to die as well. Um, so she, you know, gets heartbroken and, oh, I thought he loved me and all this. Um, so they have to defuse the detonator, which is on like thousands of, uh, explosives, um, which they are able to, well, they, they lift it up. They can't defuse it completely. So Mayday sacrifices her life. Um, but they get it out of the mine so that when it does blow up, the only, the only casualty is Mayday, I guess. Right. Yep. Um, so she sacrifices herself. Um, then, um, the blimp tries to take off and, um, Bond, you know, hangs onto one of the mooring ropes. Well, they kidnap Stacy. Somehow she's running along the field to James Bond and they, Uh, I forgot about that. She, she gets run down by a blimp and gets gets picked up. How slow do you have to be to get picked? Okay. The way you're saying it makes it sound a lot worse than it actually, than I thought it was, but maybe you're right. (laughs) I mean, a blimp comes down and scoops her off the ground. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, the only time uh, in the history of civilization, I think, that ever happened or was alluded to happening. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the blimp comes and, and grabs her. Um, I, I mean, yeah. So then um, then Bond runs up and grabs onto a rope. So um, the, now the blimp is uh, flying through um, San Francisco and just over narrowly, the bay over San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, it's just and he's just hanging on by a rope. <laughs> yeah, narrowly not hitting the skysca- skyscrapers, um, and they are heading toward the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, you see I, an antenna I, get him in the groin. Remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was weird. Um, <laughs> I did skip over a line before that I wanted to. I want to jump back to real quick. Uh, right after his plan to take out Silicon Valley, you know, the blimp is it shows ah. the blimp flying into San Francisco, yes. and he goes, 
May I think Mayday says, "Wow, what a view!" And he whispers in her ear, "To a kill, to a kill." It is walking yeah. away. And I yeah. have a friend who, my friend who lives in San Francisco, actually, uh, I think that was the moment where this movie lost him, where he just laughed <laughs> and he goes, "Every time I talk about whatever James Bond or whatever, he goes, what a view to a kill.'" <laughs> he just oh. found that so ridiculous, and it, it is ridiculous. It, it was, I mean, first of all, it was. It's like, how can we possibly get the title of this movie into the film? Like, <laughs> so juxtaposed. No one it would was. ever say that. Like, <laughs> it was funny though. It was. It's, <laughs> Walking makes it work. I'll say that. So. Oh god, I don't know. That, I, that, I, if anything, I don't buy Mayday saying "What a view." I don't buy her character uh, uh, taking in the beautiful aesthetics, gorgeous, uh, you know, scenery right. of San Francisco. That just doesn't seem like something she's interested in. Um, but uh, more so than walking, being crazy, and going to a kill. <laughs> yeah. So I, we forgot that we're talking about other great line deliveries of walking. I did mean to mention that. So. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of James Bond movie titles, is this, like, one of the worst ones? Because it's a view to a kill, but it's not even like he's, they spend a lot of time in the blimp or anything. Like, it's not like a, the blimp is his hideout or anything like that. Like, the, literally, the blimp is, you know, other than the, the, the scene about him talking about his master plan, uh, the blimp is only then in it at the very end. So it's like weird that they chose the title of View to a well, Kill. Well, it's based on a short story by Ian Fleming called From a View to a Kill. Um, okay. What what how accurate and loyal this story is to this movie is to the Ian Fleming source novel, I'm not sure. But oh, once again, I talked about how this was a lot of lasts. This is the last Bond movie I think up until Casino Royale to be based on an Ian Fleming short story. All the, the Living Daylights, License to Kill, all the Brosnans were just original screenplays. They made up the title, they mm-hmm. threw it together, and, and that was it for better or for worse. So every other Bond movie from Dr. No up to A View to a Kill was based on or named after a novel or a short story by Ian Fleming about James Bond. So Yeah, I was surprised to hear that Quantum of Solace was a was an Ian Fleming title. Quantum of Solace was, and you talk about bad Bond titles. I mean, I guess what I remember saying was the good one good thing about Quantum of Solace it could broaden people's vocabulary. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I said that. But I think that's a much worse title. I th- I'm surprised they called a movie that. I'm surprised they called a movie Octopussy. That's true. That that's was the title. original title for you know that he did make a you know mm-hmm. uh, a, a story called Octopussy and it was called Octopussy. I just can't believe they called a movie that. The big difference between a, is either a short story or a novel. Uh, so I definitely don't think it's the worst Bond title. I think it's kind of cool Bond title. Um, I, maybe the, I, the, I don't. The, yeah. I, I like the title. The title itself is fine. A View to a Kill. It sounds great. But it's not. it doesn't fit with the context of the movie to me. Does Tomorrow Never Dies really fit? Or World is Not Enough? Or Die Another Day? I think those... Well, the Brosnan ones, I guess, were just shoehorned in there. Brosnan, um, yeah, the Brosnan ones were a little ridiculous. Well, yeah. the newspaper for Tomorrow Never Dies it was, was called, called Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yes, yeah. okay. Um... I mean... I didn't see World is Not Enough. That's the one with... He goes, at one point, they're torturing him, and I think it's Sophie Marceau. Yeah, Denise Richards is the good Bond girl. Sophie Marceau is the bad Bond girl. And she says, I could have given you the world, or something like that. And he goes, just while he's being tortured in this chair, he goes, the world is not enough. And she... (laughs) Something like that. And then she asks him something, I forget what, and he goes, family motto. (laughs) 
so something but actually that would put to to the writer's credit i believe that is the family motto and they also mention that the world is not enough phrase in honor majesty's secret service so they just Hmm. didn't title it so it's not completely made up yeah just the way they threw it in there like a view to a kill it's kind of like just a you know silly yeah Yeah. the way it's the way it's presented is silly all right um so we're, we're just about done here so the blimp then ends up uh kind of crashing into well i guess the rope gets tied around golden gate bridge so the blimp gets stuck on the golden gate bridge at the very top um more bad cgi when it's not a stunt double great well not cgi just is. green screen just green that's screen. what i meant green yeah. screen yeah um great great shots when it is a stunt double uh, incredible mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, they had to, I guess, prove that it was James, it was, uh, Roger Moore there. And and that's when it looks horrible. Mm. Um, but not as bad as I remember. For some reason, I thought it was worse than that, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of silly. Uh, the, the blimp crashes, Zorin says more power, more power, (laughs) um, and, and ends up you know, busting out the windows and everything. And, and, and then he ends up, his, his death was very uneventful, which I guess a lot of times bond villains are, but I I uh, disagree. I thought that was a good action scene at the end. I thought that was a good fight with the ax on the cables on top of the bridge. I mean, obviously far fetched. It could never happen. The music once again, that, you know, rousing score by John Barry that we mm -hmm. heard at the very beginning and throughout the movie, I think it's, you know, played to very, very good effect here. Uh, uh, in the climactic action scene, so I disagree. I think that's a good scene. Um, yeah, so that well, he ends up falling off. The, the scene itself is fine. His death was just like, all right, he sl- he like slides, f- uh, slips, and like falls off the. Yeah, bridge. but I like how he laughs as he's about to fall. And yeah, I, that's yeah. a good walking, you know, touch that I'm sure he added that maybe the director didn't tell. I, I don't know. We, we don't know who to credit, but it looks good. It's that maniacal. He knows he's gonna die, and he's laughing just for a second, not over the top, overdone like he was, you know, uh, driving away on the speedboat after the Eiffel Tower chase so right and then and then the doctor jumps out after him like he's his baby which i guess in a way he is but well they take out the dynamite and they're gonna and they they blow themselves up yeah so yeah they blow up the blimp and uh then that's that's the end of that kgb gives bond the order of lenin which i thought was funny Mm -hmm. um and then there's a scene with a robot and bond and tanya roberts in the shower which i did not need to see (laughs) Um, and i said my last note is you know it's an 80s movie because there's russians and a robot (laughs) yeah the the robot well this was before rocky uh four which came out the same year this was summer june rocky four came out i believe in december um but yeah both have the weird robot that just doesn't i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah and and russians yes i never realized so many connections between a view to a kill and rocky four but Mm -hmm. uh yeah that's uh I'm sure some of the Rocky movies we could do on uh, real big mistakes, but uh, as long as it's not Rocky Five, I'm okay with it. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, no. All right, so, so that's the end. That's that's a view. That's to a it. Kill. That's a yep. view to a kill. Um, all right, so um, verdict time. Real big mistake. Jay, you've seen this movie a t- hundreds of times, probably. Um, not hundreds, maybe not hundreds, but, yeah. but uh, all right. So, did this? You know, watching it. When's the last time you think you saw it all the way through? Prior oh, to. Oh, jeez, I don't know. 
years, more right. more than ten years maybe from beginning right, to so end. So ten years, not with so commentary. Yeah, maybe about ten years. Five. Or has anything changed your opinion in in ten years? Now that you're ten years older and ten years wiser, is um, this still not a real big mistake for you? No, it's still a very good James Bond movie. Maybe not a great Bond movie, but I think it's a fitting end to for Lois Maxwell as Money Penny and just for um, Roger Moore as James Bond. I like, you know, how it sort of stands as a, you know, a, 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 an end of an era, you know. And then Dalton mm-hmm. was supposed to start a new era that just didn't last as long, so it ends up getting clumped in with the rest of, you know, or bookended with Roger Moore's seven films. Um, so. I, I think it's a very good movie. I like it for its own merits. Um, you could say he's too old. I I don't like the scene with uh, that we talked about where Walken and his, you know, one other guy, Scarpine or whatever, is mowing down and killing these, you know, innocent workers, m- miners. Um, I never liked that. But... Um, the uh, I was going to say, I guess just uh, if I was to change anything, yeah... The one thing that I noticed this time, and maybe because I'm more woke or maybe because society has changed, I guess Roger Moore, and he, he gets a lot of women in this because I know they, this was, it was 1985, so AIDS was around, but I guess we weren't fully aware of mm-hmm. the magnitude of it because by the time, poor Timothy Dalton, he only gets to sleep with one woman per movie in uh, <laughs> Living Daylights and License to Kill. How many women does uh, Roger Moore get in this? The girl at the beginning, the Russian spy, which we didn't even talk about that scene. Oh, um, I forgot about her. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the May Day and uh, uh, Tanya Roberts, Stacey Sutton. So four women, uh, you know, in in a two two hour ten minute movie. So uh, that's uh, yeah. But that was yeah. par for the course for Roger Moore. I think he averaged like at least three or four women in mm-hmm. a movie. So, um, but maybe, maybe this would work better if, and as I do like Tanya Roberts as an actress, and I told you already, I liked her in the Beastmaster and Sheena and that 70s show. And I think she's absolutely beautiful. She probably had work done towards the end to still look the way she did. Yeah. But at this point, she's really eyes, figure, hair, body, everything. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. Okay. Maybe they should have had a older actress. Okay, mm-hmm. a little more age. Like, they had Maud Adams in Octopussy. Okay, she's a little bit older. You know, she's mm-hmm. a little... So her with Roger Moore didn't look as silly, as bad. Um, so maybe just someone slightly age-appropriate, you know. Then that's one thing that I never thought of before. So that, what I was going to ask you, what one thing would you change to a view to a kill if you could. And there, that those are the only real things I would change, you know, just to make those scenes a little less icky. Like you said, in the shower, I don't want to see that. I don't remember feeling like it was so icky years ago when I watched it, you know. I don't remember yeah. feeling... And once again, maybe just, like, now I'm older, but also, you know, the media is telling me that these things aren't acceptable and appropriate anymore. Sure, she's over 18, but it's, you know, it's not yeah. really, you know the way things are supposed to be at this point. So, uh, and I never felt that way. I would just thought she was beautiful. I liked her and, uh, yeah. So I thought she was fine, but now I'm starting to think, yeah, he looks old and I always thought he looked old, but maybe a different bond girl 
could have made the that he actually had chemistry with. He hated Tanya Roberts. He said in between takes she was off in the mirror to putting on more makeup. They couldn't get <laughs> anything done. She slowed. He 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 thought she was very annoying to work with. In his, mm. uh, it's a good, if you're interested, it's a very easy read. It's a good book. Uh, his autobiography, My Word Is My Bond. So, all right. Um. So I. Th- thought that oh and so you you reminded me of of one character i wanted to mention but forgot um when you mentioned the the russian spy um there's also the american cia agent uh who also played wuhan in um indiana jones and the temple of doom yes uh he dies in the very opening scene um but he's like his partner i guess and in that movie or and temple of doom clearly had a lot of influence from james bond with yes. the opening scene and the oh, song yeah, and all the yeah um but uh yeah and i i didn't i didn't like his death because it was kind of like the same way uh patrick mcnee's character died where mayday was hiding in the car and yeah it was Dalton, exactly the same it was exactly <laughs> Just the same car. and you even see him driving away and the car's like going a little off the road for a second and then so you know it's mayday driving the car i thought that yep. was kind of clever so yeah yeah the but, fact yeah. that the, the the car is still driving away um yeah i thought that too but um yeah, yeah same same way the other guy died exactly. um so yeah i i i'll be honest i was not looking forward to watching this movie um i when i put it on and started watching it i enjoyed it more than i thought i would um i that's more of a statement of uh it, you, you know how you enter things with expectations <laughs> Uh, than it is the movie though um i just think your expectations were just my expectations were pretty low i was not looking forward to it and i ended up watching it fine i was into it actually for the pretty much the whole movie i mean a few parts here there started to drag but um I, i you know i was into it i was into the story um, I was trying to follow follow along with the plot as best as I could and try to make some kind of sense of it um but um Again, you know, I went in with low expectations, so that's probably why I was surprised by how much I actually um, enjoyed watching it. Um, you know, it's a James Bond movie, so, you know, for better or worse, you're going to get what a James Bond movie is. And this um, certainly delivers on that, I think, so. Yeah, uh, but not it as It doesn't deliver it exceedingly yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, but in some parts, but it delivers it has, whereas Quantum of Solace does not. Okay. Right. Um, you could, even though I love, you know, Doctor No and From Russia with Love, they don't have all the staples, you know. Um, right. This the, has the, all the staples. This has Skyfall, great movie, doesn't have all the staples. So if you're the James Bond traditionalist and you look for, you want the car, the gadgets, the girls, the henchmen, the the bad Bond girl, the good Bond girl, the you know convoluted diabolical scheme to take over the world or at least kill millions, it, it's all there. You know, and and I, I, it's been done better, but it's also been done a lot worse, in my opinion. And I think, from a historical perspective, from the franchise perspective, this is a landmark film, and people, I guess, forget or don't like it enough to give it the credit that it deserves as a landmark film. I think it's fun, and like I said, yes, I love James Bond, the franchise, more than any other franchise, and more than you, even the worst James Bond movies. I still, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I can find good in that movie, even though I don't think it's a good movie. So, yeah, it's, it's just, I guess, your expectations and what you bring to the table uh, for this type of picture. So, you seem very, very um, 
conflicted whether you're going to say it's a real big mistake or not. <laughs> um, I'm not that conflicted. Um, I I still I see for you and I get it. Uh, you have a lot of ties to this movie. You know, like you said, it's a farewell. So many people behind the scenes and and even actors in the movie. It's their last one. I don't have that that tie to it. I, I don't know who's behind the scenes. I don't know that it's Money Penny's last movie, and I don't know who the next Money Penny is going to be, and nor do I really care. So, and that's just me. Um, so for me, without those factors in it, um, it's just not enough for me to, to call it. Uh, it's 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 it is a real big mistake to me. Um, he he's too old. The, the fight scenes are terrible for the most part. Um, Christopher Walken is fine. I don't think he's a great Bond villain, but I don't think he's terrible. Um, I, I think he, he does with what he, you know, he was given, um, which wasn't a, a lot. In fact, I would, when you mentioned Mayday being a showcase in this movie, I think she's on screen just as much, if not more, than, than Christopher Walken. Um, because she's pretty much always, wherever he is, she is, um, and then she's in it so much that he's not. Yeah, if you get a chance, watch some of the TV spots or the theatrical trailers, and it's like, James Bond, has he met his match in May Day? And it's like, she's front and center, you know, on a lot of the ad campaign. And, oh yeah, there's Christopher Walken and Tanya Roberts, who cares? You know, it's Roger Moore, Grace Jones, boom, boom. The poster is, there's a couple of posters with them, you know, their backs to each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, she was front and center in the ad campaign, um... Which I guess was kind of a bold move, you know, because you have, you know, the the beautiful blonde woman in uh, Tanya Roberts, and she's taking a back seat to the uh, gorgeous uh, Mm African-American, black Caribbean-American woman, I believe she is. So that's, you know, kind of groundbreaking in that sense. And I think the plot involving computers, involving technology, I guess it's the 80s where this was up and coming, trying to shoehorn and fit that in in some unrealistic way. I think that's commendable as well. So it's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, even if you don't like it, you got to admit it's a fun and interesting failure. Yeah, it is. It wasn't something that I just couldn't watch. You know, those are the worst movies, right? The ones that you, that are just so bad that like, are so boring or something like that. Like, not that this was a train wreck, but it definitely, you know, it's silly. It's a little too silly at times for me. And then, then there's that weird super serious scene like we talked about where people are just getting mowed down um uh, so i think the tone tonally this movie is a little all over the place Mm. um and you know i mean it's still a james bond movie so it's not horrible um where would i rank it out of a on a scale of one to a hundred probably um 45 50 maybe Mm, um I, i i don't think it should be as low as as what it is but I also understand why it's one of the lower ones. Um, okay. and, and, you know, it, it's, yeah. It, it, I, so I'm not super conflicted. I am a little conflicted. I, like I said, I, I went in with low expectations and ended up in, over, overall enjoying it uh, more than I should have. But the, the flaws are there. And, and to me, it's just, there's just, like I said, I don't have the ties to uh, the other things you spoke of. Um, for that to really factor in for me so taking those things out um you know that that that's just where it is for me 
All right. Well, fair enough. I mean, I certainly enjoyed it. This is really making me want to, maybe for season three, <laughs> we'll get a chance to revisit the James Bond franchise and I'll pick a really ridiculous one. Because if you think this one's a little too, you know, silly and out there and, you know, I I'd love to see your reaction to Octopussy. People say Octopussy is better than this. Uh, some people do. Uh, actually, Rotten Tomatoes does. Apparently, everything yeah. is better than this on Rotten Tomatoes. So I would love to see your reaction uh, to that or to Die Another Day or to, to Moonraker. Uh, some of the really more out there, ludicrous, but I think they're fun, uh, mm -hmm. James Bond adventures. So... Uh, yeah, well, so I guess we'll we'll end it at that. I say it's uh, definitely a very good movie, and the critics are wrong, and you're saying it's a real big mistake. I would put this in the top ten for Bond movies. Um, wow. Obviously, obviously, well, it's up there. For Roger Moore, this is my second favorite one. Spy Who Loved Me, number one. This is number two, in my opinion. So, right. and, yeah, and I don't hate Roger Moore. Some people hate him because he's, you know, silly. And like I said, his movies lack a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. It's t you can't compare him to Connery. And he made it where he made, you know, seven movies on his own. And I think they stand, you know, well, they're, they're, they're good for what they are. They're not the best, in my opinion, at least. But I think he, you know, he put his stamp on it. He made his movies his way after the first two. And I think he did a really good job. And, you know, this was a nice end to his long run as 007. So that was nice. All right. Well, that does it for A View to a Kill. Um, so next week, uh, my choice, I will announce it now, is going to be Friday the 13th, Part 4, Jason... No, sorry, the final chapter. <laughs> I got a little carried away there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Jason Lives, but that's that's later. That's six, um, and that's one of my favorite Friday the yeah. 13th. So. So, and I yeah. really wanted to do horror, and I'm glad you picked Like I was so conflicted on what movie to pick, uh, but then when I realized that we we're starting our you know first episode, the week that a new James Bond movie, and we haven't had a James Bond movie in six years, I'm like... I've got to jump on this and do a James Bond movie. So, but I really, October for me is usually horror movie month and I just inundate myself with tons of great horror movies. So yeah. I am looking forward to uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. All right, great. All right, so that's next week. Um, I'll sign off first. Um, again, my name is Rich Tola. Uh, you can find us on at Real Big Mistakes on Instagram. Um, and, um, that's it for me. All right. And I'm Jason Konigsberg of panandslam.com. You could read all my articles there. And I have many articles about James Bond, uh, the actors, the songs, the ranking of the movies. Um, I even wrote an entire article defending a view to a kill prior to doing this podcast. Um, so you could find all those articles there. Follow me on Twitter on Jason K critic and live long, prosper, and watch movies. All right. Thanks for hanging with us.